Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick Amell. All new episodes of the Tennis Podcast return next week, but for right now, it's time to get our superhero capes on because we're saving the day with two of our most popular episodes to date. First, from May 2019, it's episode 38, covering the top 10-ish superheroes with the most comic book appearances. Then, right after that, will be episode 93 from July 2020, where I guessed the most popular comic strips in newspaper history. By the way, if you are missing new content, check out our brand new bonus episode on Tennis Pod Plus. We had a three-way, oh baby, with me, Dr. Buster, and our mutual friend Alex. Together we discussed stupid shit we all did or believed in childhood. It's available right now, this minute. Right now, it's available exclusively on Tennis Pod Plus. You can listen at tennispod.com slash P-L-U-S. But enough of that. It's time to fight for justice with these comic-themed best-of episodes. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Brandon. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. Would you take the Battle of Winterfell or Avengers Endgame? Uh, funny you a- should ask, I watched them both on the same day. And we should note that as we're, as we're recording this, the most recent episode of Game of Thrones was the Battle of Winterfell. Um, I loved Endgame and gave me all kinds of fun times and feelings all over the place, but I had a much stronger reaction, both being scared and tense and surprised and delighted with the Game of Thrones episode. It's weird that 21 movies leading up to this three-hour epic, which was great and not to diminish Endgame, but even at the end of the movie with the most poignant parts, uh, still didn't give me all the thrills and chills that the Battle of Winterfell did. Especially the, uh, yeah, I know it's a controversial thing about who defeated the Night King, but I love it. I love the episode too, although I'm I'm seeing a lot of backlash from fans on Reddit and the such to some plot holes in the episode, which aren't entirely uh, unfounded. But despite that, still thought it was a really strong episode and just incredible. If you take a step back and just look at it, like take your entertained glasses off and just look at it from a practical standpoint of filming that. It's amazing. It's really incredible. Yeah, I can't imagine it. You know, my favorite part of the episode actually was the first 10 minutes before the fighting even started. Just the mood setting and stage setting. I watched it, uh, I watched it alone in the dark with, um... Are you talking, wait, are you talking about Killer Clowns from Space? The, or <laughs> I watched it, this, I watched it the same way. I watched it, uh, in the dark on the big TV, but with my earbuds plugged in through the Xbox. So, I'm not waking up the family, but I'm just in a deep dark black box and it's just me it's just me and the army of the dead and as for endgame haven't seen it don't really plan to i'm way behind on the marvel universe um but it's uh, on track to become the highest grossing film of all time surpassing avatar yeah and it's only been out like what a week and a half at this point or maybe just a week i don't know but it's pretty incredible Maybe we'll talk about Endgame another time. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Why don't we get down to business here? This is the show where we talk about top 10 lists. One of us brings a list, the other guesses it. And this week, Brandon has the list. Brandon, is this a good list or a bad list? Well, I guess what's your definition of a good list? A list that you will enjoy? It's a bad list, isn't it? 
It's a list that is very timely given our conversation about uh, Avengers Endgame. Today, we're talking about the 10 most popular comic book characters. Based on what? Based on, uh, this is probably, I, I think, one of the most scientific ways that you could measure this. It's by the number of appearances in comic book issues. So, the numbers you'll hear today are numbers of comic book issues that this character has appeared in. And I think the market would dictate how much they want to see a particular character in a comic book. And you should also consider comic book characters often show up in comics that aren't their own. Like Wolverine is not just in X-Men comics, he's also in Wolverine comics. He's also in Hulk comics, he's in Spider-Man comics, Archie comics, uh, Casper the Ghost comics. Family Circus. These issue appearances can also count their appearances across other brands. So, to be clear though, we're talking specifically about comics, not movies, not TV shows. The number of appearances in comic book issues. Can that appearance be like the equivalent of a cameo where they're just like in a very brief part? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it could count as that. And I don't know how often that happens in comic books. Not very often. With all of the characters listed in here, it's almost unthinkable that they would appear in a story and not have at least a line of dialogue. Okay. Although you are not a comic book fan or a comic book reader, I can say with a high degree of confidence, you have heard of every character in the top 10. Yeah. So, let me give some background to our thumb twaddlers out there. I don't read comics. Um, I think they're fine. I think if you like them, that's fine. It's very gracious of you. I used to watch all the superhero movies. I just gave up around two or three years ago. I think the last superhero film I saw was uh, the first Ant-Man. But uh, anyway, so I say that to say I have a pretty decent working knowledge of superheroes, but I've not read any comics. So, you'll, you'll be learning today as well. I'll be learning today. What was your source, by the way? Should have said that at the top. Uh, these are sourced from Ranker.com. Ranker.com, okay. Uh, this was not user submitted though. This was done by Ranker staff. Okay, well, you got the top 10, right? Actually, I have the top 10 and then I also have, I actually have all the way through top 25. Do you want to rule out which comic characters certainly not be in the top 10? Yeah, I'll do that. I'm going to say that Jughead. This is any comic character. It's not just superheroes. It's all superheroes. Okay. It's all superheroes. There's no one who's not. So, there's no baby from Baby Blues on there? <laughs> no. Uh, and I'm No Dilbert? Well, those are comic strips. Oh, give me a fucking break. A comic book, you would have to include Archie, Casper, and I think they used to make a ton of like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Popeye comics back in the day. Is um, Casper, was he before the movie? Are you serious? I don't yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, yeah well, it was a comic book yeah. and then it was a cartoon, a cartoon for a long time and then yeah, the, the movie is based on the comic and cartoon. I think I've heard this question posed before but is Casper, was Casper like our ghosts born, did he have ghost parents and he was born as a ghost baby and now he's a child ghost? No, his ass died as a human baby. He died as a human child. He's the ghost of a child that died. Isn't that a safe assumption? I guess. That's creepy too though. They're both creepy. Well, those are his brothers too, right? The older mean ones. Oh, I forgot about them. So, they're all dead ski. Don't they all have big, round, dumpy ghost butts? <laughs> well, one is gargantuan. Is the other one thin and creepy? Yeah, and I think there's a third one that might be in the middle. I don't know, but... Um, the third one's the doy-doy. Yeah, but I, my working knowledge from Casper comes exclusively from the movie with 
what's her name? Uh, Christina. Christina Ricci. So, no, there's, there's no Archie. There's no Jughead. You're just admitting at the top that all the top 10 are superheroes. All the top 25 are superheroes. Okay. And we're talking individual characters, so I couldn't just say like the X-Men. That's right. Okay. So, I'm going to guess not in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Aquaman. You're right. Aquaman is, Aquaman is actually not in the top 25. Yeah, because if I recall, he's kind of, he's actually not that huge from comics, right? Uh, no. In fact, uh, Aquaman is uh, DC and then Marvel has a Atlantean underwater guy named Namor and neither one of them are in the top 25. I think people are really bored by, like if you're under the sea and you're not a mermaid, people don't understand what you're doing down there. Isn't pretty universally agreed that the DC films have been much weaker than... Yeah, there's things that I like about the like Batman versus Superman movie. There's definitely stuff that I like about it but overall they just... They don't have that sense of like fun and that sense of fun that I that the Marvel movies have. That sense of fun. They don't. It's very dark. Like everyone is moody yeah, and the, it, even the, the color palette is dark and everything is so serious and emotional and moody. It's like our podcast, Dark, Serious, Moody. As opposed to Endgame that had some very like deep poignant parts but it also had some really funny parts. It had some parts that were clearly fan service but they were done really well. I mean, they should take every cue from them. Like, even if people said you're just ripping off what Marvel has done, they should still do it because it works and people enjoy it. But I would argue that because the Dark Knight trilogy uh, was totally dark and not like Marvel and it was the most successful DC character films ever. I mean, they were really grounded in reality, which I think makes them a little bit more palatable for people who aren't into superheroes. I, I would disagree with that too. I think the Marvel formula makes it more palatable for people that aren't into superheroes. Which m formula is that? What you were just saying, the fun, kind of lighthearted at times, colorful. No, you, you are right about that. Well, we're not going to solve. We're not going to solve comics and movies today. Let me give you some guesses on more that aren't in the top. I'll just say top 25 even. Okay. Are you trying to think of some uh, obscure superheroes? Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone kind of at the Aquaman level. Someone who's, a, who's basically a, like a boob in a suit. How about the Suicide Squad characters, not counting the Joker? Like all of those? Like Harley Quinn. How about Harley Quinn? No, not at all. In fact... I bet Ant-Man's not in there either. Ant-Man is not in there. Because I kind of got the sense that for some of those, some of those like movies that have come out recently, Ant-Man and Suicide Squad that they're kind of reaching because all the main, main, like mainstream yeah. superheroes have already been done. Actually, let me look at this, at this uh, top 10 and I'll let you know if there is any one of these. So, everyone so far that I've seen has starred in their own movie or been one of the main characters in a movie. How about Hawkeye? No, Hawkeye and Black Widow are not in the top 25. Am I not killing this fucking list already? You know, you're you're doing better than I thought. You see, you think I'm a doy-doy about this and this in the Star Wars, I'm, I mean, I think I'm, I think I have like a, a gift. There's no, <laughs> you're touched, touched by, yeah, you've been touched by an angel. There's, uh, there's no Guardians of the Galaxy in the top 25. No Hellboy. No, no Hellboy. There are no, uh, there are no independent comic book characters. So, they're all DC or Marvel. 
They're all DC or Marvel. And if you follow or you are interested in the whatever relationship or differences uh, competition between DC and Marvel, this list might shake out kind of interesting to you. Captain Underpants. <laughs> Captain Underpants didn't make it either. I used to have an Animaniacs comic book as a kid. Yeah, I used to get uh, Simpsons comic books. Why am I not surprised? How about... Okay, so I'm going to guess the top 10 in reverse order. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to nail it. I'd be surprised, but I'm... Hey, I'm on, your, I'm on your team though. I'm rooting for you. Well, then we're fucked. How about this? I'm not going to guess like specifically number 10, but I'm going to guess the bottom half of the top 10. Okay. Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk is number 13 on the list. <clears throat> you know, I was close. You're, yeah, you're on the right track. I'm going to guess Catwoman is in the top 25 but not the top 10. Catwoman is not in the top 25. Catwoman is uh, only one from many in Batman's rogues gallery and although they have at times had a sensual relationship, <laughs> she still did not crack the top 25 which uh, is actually really interesting when you see who some of the characters in the top 25 are. How about Robin? Is he, He's between 10 and 25 or 11 and 25. I'm going to, I'm going to give you uh, the, an you, you answered Robin. Uh, on the list, uh, the character Dick Grayson is listed and you may not know that there have been several Robins, several characters take up the mantle of Robin in the comics but Dick Grayson was the original Robin uh, who then became Nightwing. Dick Grayson is number 14 on the list. Did you hear that? While you were talking, I could hear a huge rush. As all the non-superhero fans <laughs> unsubscribed, clicked stop on this podcast because they were going to sample it. And then as soon as you started getting into the history of Dick Grayson, they're like, I'm out. Well, that was it. I kept it very short. But Dick Grayson is number 14 and he is the only character, he's the only Robin on the list. What color do you think his winky is? I'm The smart money's on gray, right? I'm glad you brought up about... Winkies because that is in my notes for some of these characters. Now, Ra uh, Dick Grayson is a human. Okay. He's not a mutant nor is he a human mutate. Uh, he has no superpowers so I believe his winky probably just looks normal. Can you describe a normal looking winky for us? And don't use your own because odds are it's not normal. Like a big thumb without a nail. <laughs> All right, moving on. Still aiming for the bottom half of the top 10 here. Okay. Aim for that bottom. Iron Man. Iron Man. Iron Man is... 10 or 11, I'm guessing. Number 7. God damn it! Uh, Iron Man is number 7 on the list with 8,697 issue appearances. God damn. It's, it's actually crazy how much comics there are. And can we talk about how comics are like in this resurgence right now? They've been in a state of resurgence for, I don't know, probably about 10 years or so. Yeah. I would say since the first, if memory serves, the first like mainstream modern superhero film was Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Does that sound right? Yeah. I mean, I know there were the Batmans in like the 80s and the 90s, but. Yeah, you're right. Spider-Man in the early 2000s, I think 2000 or 2001 is when the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out and yeah, it kind of kicked that off. Uh, I think it picked up like a lot of steam with Batman Begins. I think that was 2006, 
five or two thousand seven, two thousand five. But then it was it was shortly after that that DC Comics did a relaunch. Uh, they relaunched and they called it the New Fifty Two. Yeah. Are you familiar with that, Matt? I've heard about that, yeah. The New 52 was a new comic every week for an entire year. That's the New 52. I think all that stuff's still going strong. Uh, the graphic novel section at the bookstore continues to grow every time I go over there. Right, and I right. think graphic, graphic novels are a good way for someone who doesn't want to go and shell out a lot of money for comics and try to collect them or keep them nice. You can just go pick up a collection or a volume or a graphic novel and enjoy that way. A graphic novel can like capture a, a whole series of comics. Yeah, if DC is really good about putting together graphic novels that have a beginning, middle, and end, and you can pick those up uh, with almost any DC character. Uh, Marvel is better about putting together volumes uh, that contain like a storyline as comics were originally published. What would you say today is the average price of a newly released comic, like standalone comic? I think it's like three ninety five. Uh, do you know what the most expensive comic is today? I'm not sure, but I, I believe it's still Action Comics number one, the first appearance of Superman. If I remember right, Nicolas Cage has a very nice copy of it worth quite a bit of money. I just looked it up. An original copy of the Action Comics number one that initially cost 10 cents and introduced Earth to Superman became the world's most expensive comic book when it ranked 3.2 million on eBay. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Let me give you some facts about Iron Man. Okay. Uh, Iron Man is a Marvel comic character. His first appearance was in Tales of Suspense number 39 in 1963. Iron Man's true identity is Tony Stark. Now, a few facts. What are, what are Tony Stark or Iron Man's abilities? And as I read these abilities, you'll start to find a re some recurring themes across these superheroes. Genius level intellect. Proficient scientist and engineer. That's all of them. And then, of course, he has his power armor suit, which grants him superhuman strength and durability, supersonic flight. It's equipped with energy repulsors and missile projection and also supports him with regenerative life support. Regenerative? What is that last one? Regenerative life support. So like if he dies, he comes back? So, if he got hurt, there's stuff inside that might, you know, help him heal. Like, well, you, did you see Infinity War? No. Well, in Infinity War, uh, he has advanced his technology so that it is now nanotechnology and he can build his metal suit. It just sort of creeps over his skin and makes the suit. Uh, and part of the, that new suit is like it can shoot like a frost, like a freezing type thing, you know? Yeah. And he used that frost to um, seal a, a puncture in his suit where he had been injured. You know who'd be a good superhero? Jack Frost, the snowman. Do you remember when Michael Keaton played Jack Frost? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also remember when Michael Keaton played an actual superhero Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jack Frost could shoot ice shit at people. Carrots? <laughs> he could shoot one carrot. He could throw a carrot. And then once, once he gets through the carrot, he starts throwing coals and then sticks and then his hat. <laughs> So, yeah, he just – but so he's only got a few shots in him before he's out of ammo. He doesn't have – actually, he doesn't have any superpowers that like a, a, just a regular person <laughs> who's willing to throw their clothing doesn't have. <laughs> but maybe he could have more precise throwing and then maybe he could fly on a wind of like snowstorm. But, you know, did you remember Jack Frost was a horror film as well? 
Remember that? No. There was Jack Frost, the scary killer snowman. Michael Keaton should have been in that one. Yeah. Michael Keaton should be in everything. Well, so wait, you mentioned Iron Man was in Tales of Suspense or something like that. Yeah. Well, my question is, do most of these characters debut in like a side story sort of deal where they're not the main feature of a comic? A lot of them do, yes. Iron Man was created by Stan Lee. He was created in 1963 as public opinion, public support of Vietnam was starting to have People are starting to, to think, maybe think differently about the Vietnam War. Interesting quote on the uh, origin of Iron Man from Stan Lee. Uh, and it reveals that he was created by Stan Lee to spite hippies. How so? Well, Stan Lee said, I think I gave myself a dare. It was the height of the Cold War. The readers, the young readers, if there was one thing they hated, it was war. It was the military. So, I got a hero who represented that to the hundredth degree. He was a weapons manufacturer. He was providing weapons for the army. He was rich. He was an industrialist. I thought it would be fun to take the kind of character that nobody would like, none of our readers would like, and shove him down their throats and make him like him. And he became very popular. <laughs> Quote Stan Lee. So, yeah. Iron Man was created to shove down the throats of young anti-war activists. Yeah, and we have a lot of young anti-war activists listening to this show. What would be interesting if you, you probably don't have this, but how many comic appearances does Iron Man have before and after his first major movie? You know what I mean? I know what you mean and the vast majority are before. Iron Man appears in a ton of storylines across multiple series. The Infinity series, which all the most recent Marvel movies are based on of. I just feel like growing up as a kid... I didn't read comics but there were all these really popular comic cartoons like Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. I don't remember ever seeing Iron Man until... I don't remember hearing anyone ever talk about Iron Man until the first Robert Downey Jr. film came out. You're right. He was not too mainstream. Uh, he was even less mainstream than some that are ranked under him on this list. I think the difference is, uh, at least for a lot of us, Batman and Superman had cartoons. The Batman animated series uh, was packaged and usually broadcast right alongside new episodes of a, an animated Superman series. Then there were all the X-Men cartoons. I think that's specifically why the X-Men are so familiar. We're familiar with people before their movies was not because of the comics the specifically, was because of those 90s cartoons. Yeah, I remember that cartoon. That yeah. in turn got people, you know, also interested in the comics. But uh, yeah, Iron Man didn't stand out to me either really. I mean, I knew who he was. I had read some of the comics. I knew like his general storyline. Can't see his ass through the suit either. What fun is that? Yeah. Okay. So, number seven, Iron Got Man. Got number seven. Okay. So, I'm going to guess that Wolverine is uh, also between five and ten. No, Wolverine is number three. That's some horseshit. <laughs> well, Wolverine- Are we sure this is legit? Yeah. Number of issue appearances, 12,912 issues. Something you have to remember about Wolverine is that he became immensely popular in the 90s. Again, a lot of it thanks due to the popular cartoon. But he is a character that has appeared in, I mean, he's not just an X-Man. He's got his own comics outside of X-Men that just follow him. He's appeared with the Avengers. He's been in the Avengers. He's appeared in Spider-Man. He's uh, sometimes enemy, sometimes friend of Hulk. He's a character that a lot of writers like to have access to and work into their stories. And and Marvel knows that 
Wolverine sells comics, so they'll stick Wolverine in wherever it makes sense, and that's why he's number three on the list. He is a Marvel character. His first appearance, his first full appearance, his full issue appearance, his actual first appearance uh, is at the very end of Hulk number 180. The very first time you see Wolverine, he's, he's running out of the forest and he says, if you really want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? It sounds like what I said to my wife on our wedding night. It says, well, now you know what or who Weapon X is, Faithful One. He's a living, raging powerhouse who's bound to knock you back on your emerald posterior. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who has the emerald posterior? Hulk, I believe, because he's green. So, Wolverine was a, was a foe at that time. Yeah, he was running out of the woods to kick Hulk's ass in 180 and then 181 is when the whooping began. What year is this? Uh, 1974. Uh, Wolverine's real name is James Howlett, but most people uh, know him by his other alias, Logan. His powers, his abilities are superhuman senses, agility, reflexes, and animal-like attributes. And, now, all and of these you are, missed the biggest one, fucking huge claws coming out of his knuckles. Well, I haven't got there yet. I, well, I wanted to note that all... When I put these abilities together, I just copied and pasted directly from Wikipedia because some of the way, some of the ways Wikipedia listed their abilities made me laugh and I wanted to leave them that way. Okay. Per Wikipedia, superhuman senses, agility, reflexes, and animal-like attributes, extended longevity via regenerative healing factor, adamantium-infused skeleton, adamantium is that fictional super strong metal, retractable bone claws, <laughs> and skilled in hand-to-hand -hand combat and martial arts. Of course, because of course, naturally. Again, uh, a common theme is skill in hand-to-hand -hand combat and martial arts. I don't know if you know this, in the comic books, it's part of his character. In the movies, he's played by someone who's a little bit more like normal height. But in the comics, Wolverine is like about five feet tall. Why is that? It's just part of his... Because to be more like a Wolverine? To be more like a short, stocky Wolverine. He's uh, very short, thick, and grouchy. <laughs> grouchy. Wait, are you sure he's not a sidekick host in the comics? <laughs> I'm not short. You know Wolverine's haircut, right? I know Hugh Jackman's haircut. As Wolverine? Yeah. You agree that it looks stupid, right? I mean, yeah. His hair looks like his mask. It's got that weird pointy stuff on the side. Okay, yeah. What's your point? Everything about else about the character is really cool except his flock of seagulls haircut. You mentioned really cool. What, what started this trend in superheroes always wearing like tights and... I'm glad you asked because in, in the rabbit holes I went down during research, I found out why superheroes were originally drawn wearing tights with their underwear on the outside. It's because in the 1920s, that's how, that was the depiction of like a strong man. You know, they used to be like, you would go to the circus to see the strong man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a guy with his hair parted almost in the middle uh, and he has a big curly mustache, but all he's wearing are trunks and he's buff. Those were the strong men at the time and to make kids immediately see that this superhero is a strong man, they drew them like strong men in that they were wearing basically 
onesies that showed off their muscles. Then why not just have the underwear only? Because that's what the strong men would wear. Well, I mean, that would look ridiculous. And by the way, I'll save it for our Superman talk. But the cape is dumb. Like, it's only going to get in the way. Okay. <laughs> what else about Wolverine? Uh, that's all I had. Just that is, uh, I think he's a cool character, but his hair looks really stupid. Who would you rather fight, Wolverine or Iron Man in hand-to-hand combat? Iron Man. But he's got the suit. You can't even punch him. That's fine. I don't expect to, I'm not expecting to land any punches. I'm trying to minimize pain and suffering. But you have no hope of even ending the fight because you no. can't hurt him. That's fine. I, I can't hurt either one of them. <laughs> then what's the plan at the end? I can't you... No, I get it. But you're fighting Iron Man. Yes. This has to end some way. Yes. It ends when he hits me with an energy <laughs> repulsor beam and I'm just either immediately <laughs> obliterated and dead or unconscious. I'd love to see you just obliterated <laughs> into a million pieces. Just running at Iron Man hoping that maybe he's distracted <laughs> for a minute. Uh, and he just stands there waiting for me to get close enough to blast. But see, with Wolverine, now I get all that. With Wolverine, I would immediately be eviscerated. <laughs> no, because you at least have the hope of like grabbing a pipe and bashing him on the head. It doesn't, but he <laughs> wouldn't slow him down. Wait a minute. He can take a pipe to the head like nothing? I mean. That's, see, do you see why that's dumb? Because I can no. get why someone can have strong muscles, but there's no muscles in your head. Your head is just your head. Yeah, but he has, I, I just told you, he has an adamantium infused skeleton and he has regenerative healing factors. There's nothing I can do to him to slow him down. There's nothing except like I could maybe make him laugh or make him feel sorry for me. There's no chance you could make him laugh, but you might be able to make him feel sorry for you. I could just turn around and show him like my butt. <laughs> no, just, just tell him the true story about the Atlanta airport <laughs> and the hot dog and he would be disgusted to the point that he would feel so he would feel so much pity for you that he'd leave you alone and say his claws would snicked back into their hands <laughs> into his hands okay what happened to iron man to make him like that originally to iron man or wolverine sorry wolverine well okay so iron man obviously has no like superhuman abilities he's just a guy in the marvel universe there are different ways that you can become super powered most of the x-men wolverine we're born with a mu- mutation and the mutation results in some kind of, usually around puberty, uh, results in some kind of ability or power or even a change to their appearance. And that's when you go to Professor X to help you harness your power. Right. But Wolverine was born in the 19th century. So, I think he was like a young man whereas the rest of the X-Men uh, had been under Professor X's tutelage. They've been under Professor X's what? Tutelage. Tut- okay. Since they were like, you know, kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw the X-Men movie with you in the theater. Uh-huh. And that's when I knew this shit's not for me. Which one was that? <laughs> X-Men Apop- Apocalypse? Apocalypse is a really bad one to start with. <laughs> that was the only, that's the only X-Men movie I've ever seen. I had a great time watching it because not that it was good, but it was pretty bad and uh, I got to watch your face. I just like that the scary bad guy with his one-liners like right before like he'd he'd walk you know they have those scenes where like someone says something that's supposed to be badass and then they like walk until their whole body takes up the whole frame of the camera as a cut. Uh Uh-huh. There was like 10 of those in that movie. And then someone just turned blue all of a sudden like that blue guy, the beast or whatever the hell. Yeah. (laughs) It's just... 
I mean, yeah, I don't get it. We'll talk about him and his winky later. Okay, is is the beat? What's his name? Beast. Beast. Is he in the top twenty-five? Yeah, Beast is in the top 10. Do you want to guess his place? Now, how the hell is this son of a bitch in the top 10? Oh. Uh, he's not mainstream. Do you want to guess where he's at? 10. He's 9. He is mainstream. No, he's because not. Because he's one of the X-Men. And the yeah, X- but no one cares about the X-Men other than Wolverine. Wait, what do you mean? Oh, that's the only X-Men that they care about? That's the only like X-Men that anyone could name. Any random person on the street could name. Well, regardless, Beast has shown up in 7,715 issues. But as like a background character, right? Well, he at least had that, I mean, yeah. Has, has he guess. had any comics where he's the star? Yeah, there are beasts, lots of Beast comics. Uh, beast is a Marvel comic character who first appeared in X-Men number one in 1963. His real name is Hank McCoy. Hank McCoy has a genius level intellect. Huh. As all superheroes must. He is covered with blue fur, he has pointy ears, fangs, and has both monkey and cat features. Is that your words or Wikipedia's? They said simian and feline. Okay. <laughs> I said monkey and cat. Thank you. He has this animal-like physiology uh, with enhanced physical attributes uh, and the sharp claws and teeth. And yeah, the bullet I have under here is, what does his winky look like? Hmm. I would imagine it probably looks like when a dog is just in normal mode, when the dog is not <laughs> excited and there's just this like sort of... Like a pocket? Yeah, just this sort of thing that looks like it's ready to hold something uh, in it, like a sheath. I imagine it looks like that, just a little bump that something awful comes out of. So, this man, when he's in normal mode, does he have a normal mode or is he always no, like No, he's stuck like this now. But why? Why does everyone else... Get- Wolverine gets to sheath his claws. Some mutants in those in the comics and movies have no control over their appearance and can look like disgusting monsters all the time. Uh, and then there's others that like <laughs> that look like supermodels and they can fly and nothing bad ever happens to them. So how did Beast support himself? How did he get a job? How did he go to school? He's still a scientist. He still does science with his big blue body, only sometimes he hangs upside down by his monkey feet. I don't understand. So, he's an accepted part of the community? Yeah. Oh, I told you. Remember when we talked about the end of X-Men 3, The Last Stand? I did not see it. Well, I know. That's why I described it to you. Kelsey Grammer as Beast is just cut, made up in blue fur with flowing blue locks. That blows my mind. And he's wearing a suit and giving a speech. And then the camera comes out and it turns into a a TV screen. Wolverine is watching. Wolverine kind of nods with a smirk and says, nice job, furball. (laughs) Now, who thought Kelsey fucking Grammer (laughs) was the best choice for Beast? I don't know. (laughs) I mean... I assumed it was part of his community service for having a DUI. (laughs) And why did Kelsey even think, oh, I'm going to audition to be Beast? He probably thought, you know, I'm a... I'm a beast in bed. <laughs> I imagine Kelsey Grammer was like, you know, I'm 58 years old, overweight. I've started in two successful series that are in syndication. I have millions of dollars. I would like to sit in a chair for six hours a day and have people torture me with makeup to make me look like a blue buffoon. So, when someone has to be made up like that for six hours a day. Oh, my God. Do they have to do that every single day? Yeah. 
So then they're getting up at what, like three in the morning or something? Yeah. To get for months, right? Or weeks at least. I realize like actors have amazing sweet lives but the part about sitting there and, and having people put makeup on you every day and then having to like hang out in that and do your job in it, that's, that is work. Think about the actors that are assholes which I assume Kelsey Grammer must be. I would, I think it's probably a safe bet. <laughs> and the makeup artists have to deal with him for six hours a day. I mean, I've heard Ron Perlman, you know, can be a, a real turkey. Because you got to talk to them. Yeah. Unless they just sit there in silence for six hours. I, I bet by the second day they're like, let's just do this. I bet Ron Perlman uh, grew quickly tired of all the Hellboy shit. Well, you know, you mentioned six hours of torture. That's how I feel right now doing this show. It must have been six hours by now, right? Yeah. Beast in the top 10. Sorry, it's bullshit. Uh, well, he's there. Number nine. Okay, then fucking anyone can be on this list. Um, I'm going to guess the Joker is four or five. No, the Joker is not in the top 25. Give me a fucking break. How is that possible? Because again, he's only one of many villains in Batman's rogues gallery. And although he has appeared in other series and even in his own comics, not nearly to the extent that these other guys have. So, okay, Beast is more popular than Joker. Okay. Yep. Are there any villains in the top 10? No. Okay. Is Lex Luthor in the top 25? He's not. It's really hard for a villain to make it up there with these because multiple good guys normally appear together because they're part of teams. They're, you're having multiple characters have an appearance in one comic book where there may just be one villain and it's one of many villains in their universe. Okay, so why don't I get to some big hitters here? I've been kind of saving these for the end, but right. I'm going to start nailing them off. So, I'm going to guess Batman is one or two. Batman is number one. Batman is number one with 14,358 issue appearances. He is DC Comics' most popular character. His first appearance, Detective Comics number 27 in 1939. So, that was only their 27th comic? Yeah, the 27th in the series. I have no idea what the first 26 issues possibly uh, possibly com com were comprised of. I'm sure there's lots of lost superheroes that were popular back in the day that have just kind of faded. Yeah, I, I don't have... I, I'm sure there are some cool resources out there on them, but did not dig any up for this. Although that is kind of a good idea for another list. So, Batman's abilities. Genius level intellect. Peak human physical condition. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, haven't you seen him with his shirt off? Skilled martial artist and hand-to-hand -hand combatant. Expert detective. And then he also utilizes high-tech equipment and weapons. So, was he all of those things before he became Batman? Bruce Wayne. He was an expert detective and a hand-to-hand -hand combat specialist all before Batman? Sort of. So, if you go by... Yeah, Frank Miller did Batman Year One, which tells a story that's very similar to the story you see in Batman Begins. If you're using Batman Begins as your reference, it's actually pretty close to the comic origin for him. So, yeah, he went off and trained in like hand-to-hand -hand combat and martial arts. I think he had some training in like, call it spelunking, <laughs> in cliff diving, jumping, things that take like ropes and harnesses. But that's about it. I think... All of the studying that would have come along with being a detective, a scientist, 
had to have come as part of like his first few years because mm-hmm. it's absurd to be an Olympic class athlete and a genius and a scientist and a detective and a ninja. When he this whole time had no motivation to do any of that since his parents are like uber rich. Well, I mean, his motivation to do that is to avenge his parents' deaths. Who were they killed by? It depends on the comic or origin story, but the main one is they were killed by kind of a random thug named Joe Chill. You see, that's one thing about comics that intimidates me if I were to ever even want to get into them. It's hard to know what to take as canon and where to start. Yeah, because there's so many different origin stories, different authors, different versions of every comic hero. I think the comic industry's biggest obstacle for people who are interested and want to get into it is that it's is that there is not a good resource online to say like, okay, if you want to follow Batman here are the issues that are currently publishing right now, if you want to follow this storyline. But no, they don't do a good job of that and it comics is still very much one of those things where if you don't have friends who are into it or if you don't find like a community online to help you, that your best bet is just to go down to the local comic shop and it's extremely hard to figure out. Yep, just like you and me. We're complicated people. Uh, Batman is the oldest one on here so far, 1939. Uh, there's one other that's older than the Batman. I'm sure you'll... Superman. Superman's number two. Superman is number two. Let's go ahead and talk about Superman. Superman is second on the list. 13,164 issues. Uh, again, he is a DC comic character. There are only two DC comic characters in the top 10 and they are in the number one and two positions. That's interesting. The next DC comic character is Dick Grayson at number 14, Wonder Woman at number 19. Oh, I forgot about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is 19 and that's it. There are only four DC characters in the top 25, but they also hold the number one and number two positions. Why is Marvel so much more prominent than DC? The DC comics just have a history of like bag management and poor story decisions. DC was quite a bit bigger and more popular like in the early 90s when they launched some sort of gimmicky things like the death of Superman. But no, they just make really weird decisions. Like instead of refining stories, they were like, we fucked up so bad, we should just relaunch. And even when they relaunched, they couldn't ride that wave and keep the momentum going. I'm sure that like they've, they even relaunched the continuity since they relaunched the new 52 because they had fucked up so many storylines and annoyed so many people that they just started over again. So, so when someone is writing a comic for DC or Marvel or whoever, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily up to the writer of the comic to make key decisions in the story. Is it like a board process, kind of like a movie script or something? Uh, it, it's, I'd say that in many cases, it's similar to how like the Marvel uh, cinematic universe is run. In that there is an overall story that they want to tell. That DC wants to tell or Marvel. And if you come in, they might say like, okay, the idea of this story is to get to this point. Or you might pitch them an idea for a story and they say, okay, that's going to become part of the official canon and they may even have other writers help support that vision. But yeah, I think they can't just introduce a new character without clearing it first. Okay. So, tell me about Superman. Superman, first appearance, Action Comics number 1, 1938. So, only a year before Batman. Uh, Batman's alter ego, of course, is Clark Kent. Now, Superman's abilities have grown and grown and grown. 
since his first appearance in 1938 where he mainly had superhuman strength and he could jump really high. That's where the original line, uh, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound comes from. So, he has superhuman strength. You know, like it used to be in Action Comics number one, it features him lifting a car over his head on the cover, you know, to demonstrate how strong he is. But his strength has been shown uh, up to the point where he could shift the orbits of planets uh, or crush coal into diamond in his hands. He is invulnerable, power of flight, including faster than light flight, x-ray vision, heat vision, <laughs> x-ray vision, super hearing, and the ability to blow freezing air too. So, he can do literally anything. How do you defeat Superman? Kryptonite? Kryptonite. Either kryptonite or hitting like the few vulnerable spots he has in that like he is very intelligent. He's an award-winning reporter and a detective in his own right, but he's not a super genius like Lex Luthor. He's not even as smart uh, as Batman. Everyone that he loves is human and is completely vulnerable. Lex Luthor usually defeats him by like leveraging one of those weaknesses, either someone he loves or kryptonite and some kind of complicated strategy around that. What do you do with the kryptonite? You just hold it up to him and say, look, and he goes, ah, my (laughs) eyes, and then he dies. If he is in close proximity to it, he gets sick. If he is injected with uh, something that contains kryptonite or- Does he die? I don't know that you can- kill him with kryptonite but uh, again in the comics you can weaken him to the point with kryptonite that he looks like a shriveled disgusting body but as soon as you stick him in sunlight he <laughs> powers right back up. I saw Man of Steel. Yeah. And there's a, there's a scene, the last hours is a huge fight scene in like the city. Mm-hmm. And my question is if this man is invulnerable yeah. and can't be hurt then what's the point of even fighting him for an hour? Yeah, I know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't have good answers for you. Superman is a really hard character for me to like or get into because because of that. I mean, there are some stories with him that are really cool. Uh, Superman Birthright is a great graphic novel uh, about the origin of Superman. And Superman Kingdom Come is another cool Superman story. And in Kingdom Come... Kingdom what? Kingdom Come. Kingdom what? C-O-M-E. Say it by itself. No. So, in the Kingdom Come, they show what happens like, you know, Superman is essentially immortal yeah. under Earth's yellow sun. So, he will live uh, until the Earth uh, becomes a red giant at which time he will lose his powers and, and finally be killed. It, he could potentially live until the sun goes like supernova. So, yeah, a little powerful. Yeah, too powerful for me. Yeah, it's just hard to get into someone who he has very specific vulnerabilities and I don't know. I haven't read a lot of Superman so I could be way off on this and someone could pop up and school me on Superman, that'd be fine. So, I have another guess. Before we take another guess, we're going to take a detour and talk about our latest Apple Podcast reviews. Yeah, let's do some reviews. We had our first negative review. Uh-oh. And we're going to read it on this show. Hit me with it, I'm ready. Okay. And uh, by the way, if you want your review written, no matter what it says, just write a review on iTunes and we'll read it on the show. But this one comes from L. Hick and they said, quote, this podcast is great if you're a masochist. The amount of narcissism and smarm 
<laughs> exhibited by the more tolerable host is enough to choke down with salt and lime. The holier-than-thou attitude dripping from the pores of the other host caused me on several occasions to end an episode early, end quote. I have a lot to say about this. Okay. Number one, which host is who? Who's the more tolerable and who is the holier-than-thou? Which one do you think you are? I don't know. So, the more, the more tolerable host has narcissism and smarm. Smarm is ingratiating behavior, be, to behave in an ingratiating way in order to gain favor or to smooth down one's hair with water, oil or gel. That must be what they're talking about. Yeah. And the other host is holier than thou. Holier than, what does holier than thou mean? It means you think you're better or, well, why don't you just read it to us? Characterized by an attitude of moral superiority, sanctimonious, <laughs> yeah. self-righteous, complaintant, smug, self-satisfied, priggish, pious. Well, I don't know. I don't claim any moral high ground. I think also to be holier than that, you have to have like some amount of, you have to have like high self-esteem. I would just say I have no self-esteem, not low self-esteem, just none. So, maybe I don't, I don't think that one is me. I'll take either one. I don't give a shit. They also said that the holier than their attitude dripping from the pores of the other host caused me on several occasions to end an episode early. Now, my qualm here is that clearly they've listened <laughs> just to- just keep listening. Yeah. So, if you don't like the show, just stop listening. Elhick, I don't get you but uh, thanks for giving us a try anyway. If you do have constructive criticism to give me and Brandon, we are always willing to hear that but just email it to us at tennispod at gmail.com. So, why don't we cleanse our palate with a nice review. Yeah, let's hear a good one. This one comes from Joey Peretti who says, he gave us five stars and says, fun and funny pop culture cast that is way worth your time. Oh, thanks. I, I don't know, are we pop culture though? Because so much of the stuff we talk about is old. Well, comic books. Well, are... baby names in the 1800s are not pop culture. Well, they're going to be. The pop, it means popular and that's where we come in. Regardless, thank you, Joey. Thank you to everyone who reviews us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. So, I will uh, indulge you now with another guess on your, on your holier-than-thou self-entitled uh, top 10 list here. Indulge me. Uh, I'm, Spider-Man's number four. Uh, exactly right. Very impressive. It hurts physically <laughs> to compliment you in that way. Well, and I know that your narcissistic attitude <laughs> doesn't allow you it's to It's very uh, difficult. To uh, admit that, yeah. Spider-Man's number four with 12,164 issue appearances. He is a Marvel comic character. His first appearance was in Amazing Fantasy number 15 in 1962. Was that, a, was that published by Playboy? Amazing Fantasy. Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy. Spider-Man, true identity is Peter Parker. Uh, Spider-Man, his abilities, genius level intellect, proficient scientist and inventor. So, Spider-Man wasn't born uh, Spider-Man, you know that, right? Right, he was bit by a radioactive spider. Right, instead of being a mutant human, he is a human mutate. So, he's originally human who mutated uh, for later reasons, like the Hulk is also a human mutate. So, how does the spider know to bite the kid with genius level intellect? That would just help him also become a superhero. You're asking this question of comic books where there's also a blue man <laughs> that hangs upside down and is a scientist played by Kelsey Graham. With a dog weenie. With a dog weenie. He has superhuman strength, speed, <laughs> durability, agility, 
stamina, reflexes, coordination, balance, and endurance. He has some aspects of spider physiology. He has a precognitive spidey sense. Uh He can cling to most surfaces. And in some versions, the webbing ability comes out of his hands. In some versions, it comes out of wrist shooters that he invented. Right. And then other versions, he shoots it like a spider out of his ass. Does he really? Yeah, there's a version where when he gets from building to building, he pulls his pants down in the back and he, just like a spider, shoots a spinneret of web. You're fucking kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He just backs up to the edge of the building and he hangs his (laughs) ass over and then like it just very slowly craps out. (laughs) It doesn't even shoot. Do you no, remember? That's, that's how a spider does it. Is it slow though? I guess it is. Yeah, a spider <laughs> just slowly craps this thing out and then they use their back legs to help pull it along. Does the web literally come out of the ass of the spider or is there a different hole? I assume that on a spider, that hole is for everything. <laughs> it's, for, it's for eating, fucking spinning webs, all of it. Remember we had a conversation one time about if humans could spin webs. Yeah. If it just slowly came out. And then you had to use your legs in like a diamond shape to bring it about. Oh, my God. What a mess. <laughs> what a mess. Why didn't he get any of the other physiological parts of the spider? Because like, it's a comic book. You know, in the movie, he wakes up the next morning and instead of having like a, you know, a thin teenager's body, he has a muscular athletic Spider-Man body and he doesn't need his glasses anymore. His vision's perfect. And then he can stick to shit. Why didn't he wake up and he was like, holy fuck, I got a hundred eyes. Can you imagine if you didn't have to do anything except get bit by a spider and you wake up and you're fucking buff as hell? <sighs> I'd be getting my ass bit by spiders <laughs> on purpose all the time. <laughs> I get stung by wasps in the backyard all the time and I haven't, I still look like shit. Yeah. I also found it interesting that he gets bit by a spider and becomes more spider-like and part of that is superhuman durability. But spiders are not strong or durable. They get squished all the time. They are squishy. Are they strong and durable relative to other, I guess, they're not an insect, but relative to insects? Hmm. Because they have an exoskeleton. I don't know if that's good or bad. But if you crack an exoskeleton on the inside, it's just goo. Do they have like a little brain and a little heart? Yeah. They don't have a heart. I think they do. But they don't need blood. Do they have blood? Yeah. You don't fucking know. You're just saying things. How do they have blood? (laughs) They don't need- Let's look it up. Do spiders- Someone said, asked, do spiders molt? Do spiders poop? Do spiders sleep? Do spiders have bones? Do they hibernate? Do they drink water? Do they have ears? (laughs) Do spiders have ears? Do they have brains? Spiders, t- oh my god. Why I'm would wrong. someone ask if they have brains as if they have multiple brains? Spiders technically do not have brains. See? Spider Man should have lost his fucking brain. So that, oh, they don't have like exactly brains. They have like these, their brain and their nervous system are not quite as like separate as ours appears to be. You know, if you look at a cross section of us, you have the brain and then you can see all the branches of nerves coming out. I'm looking at a cross section and their shit is fucked up inside. So, which nerve ending or whatever makes them be little assholes that hide in my shoes and bite the shit out of me for no reason? And they don't move for like three days until you get close to them and then they're just fucking lightning fast. Ha! <laughs> yeah. Like you can, there can be a, a spider in the corner of the garage for three days 
And then when I finally go like, all right, buddy, time to get out of here and go to scoot on him, it's like he has been at the starting block for the 50-yard dash that whole time. Uh, in our phobia episode, we had a debate about spiders and you said that you don't squish them. You let them live and walk around. I didn't say, I said time to go, like I'll scoot them away. No, but you see, his ass is dead. Since that episode, I have killed one spider, but I have taken two outside. I can't believe if any one of you takes spiders and puts them outside instead of squishing them, just unsubscribe from our show. Well, it's not like I put them down gently and like pack them a sandwich and tell them to hit the road. I usually fling them out the door and hope a bird gets them. But then what, if you want a bird to get them anyway, then why not just kill them yourself? Save them. I'm putting them back into the ecosystem <laughs> instead of in my garage or bathroom. If you squish it and just put the squished body parts outside, it will also be part of the ecosystem. Mm-mm. Birds turn their nose up at that. <laughs> but there's bugs that will eat them. What's number five on this list? I think I've hit all the like the main super obvious hitters. I'm, let's think if I'm missing anyone. We got, uh, let me think of the movies here. Who am I missing? Oh, Thor. Thor is number 11. Hmm. The first Thor movie didn't really impress me that much and I wasn't impressed with Thor as a character really hardly at all until Thor Ragnarok. Gave Thor like a sense of humor and kind of set a tone that was closer to like Guardians of the Galaxy. Since then, Thor has become a much more interesting character and my favorite version of Thor was in Avengers Endgame. Okay, uh, so Thor's 11. Yep. Is there any more X-Men characters in the top 10? There are, so the remaining characters are uh, Marvel characters, which all X-Men characters are Marvel characters. Professor X. Professor X is number 16. Let me tell you, there is one Avenger, there are two X-Men and one Fantastic. Oh, Fantastic. The, the rock guy from Fantastic Four. The rock guy from Fantastic Four is, he's number 10. What's his name? Uh, his name is Thing. Oh, the thing. thing. Yeah, the thing. Uh, the thing is number 10. Uh, he's appeared in 6,492 issues of Marvel Comics. His first appearance was in Fantastic Four number one. He was in the 60s. Uh, his real name is Ben Grimm and his job before he was a thing and a member of the Fantastic Four was he was an astronaut and a pilot. <laughs> are there any Doi Doi superheroes or are they all like this? Well, I think Wolverine is technically like not academically smart. I'm sure he's smart when it comes to fighting. Okay. The Thing, if you don't know, he is a giant guy made out of orange rock. Right. Uh, his abilities. He's a skilled street fighter and a hand-to-hand -hand combatant. Hmm. He has superhuman strength, stamina, and durability. Who doesn't? Rock-like skin. Who doesn't? Excellent dexterity. Who doesn't? Does that one not make you What is dexterity? Is that like you can use both hands? <laughs> yeah, you can just <laughs> use his hands. It's like they're... It's like, well, look, even though he's got rocks for hands, look how good he's doing. Yeah. So, he has excellent dexterity. I like this. Not superhuman, above average reflexes <laughs> and enhanced lung capacity. He can hold his breath for a long time. So, he's also like David Blaine. You know this guy's pleasuring himself sometimes. Well, look... Well, uh, we'll get to that. What do you think his weenie's like? Uh, that's my other note on here. What does his winky look like? And we have some clues to this. Looking forward to hearing him. In the 1995 film Mallrats, Jason Lee's character Brody meets Stan Lee at the Eden Prairie Mall 
and has a chance to ask him about his favorite superheroes. Most of the questions involve their genitals and he asks him, what about the thing? Is his dork made of orange rock like the rest of his body? And Stanley ignores the question, which makes me think it's true. There's no reason for it not to be. The only part of him on his body that is not made of orange rock are his eyeballs and that's soft tissue. So, if, if it's hard rock already. Oh, the eyes are an organ. Okay, but the penis is an organ. The winky is an organ. Mm. If you play it the right way. Let's go with the theory that, that the weenie is orange rock like the rest of them. Uh-huh. Then when he's excited, mm-hmm. does it just become a harder orange, <laughs> oranger rock? Or uh, I'm as hard as a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a pocket situation, kind of like uh, the beast with his weenie. Where it emerges? It's retracted and it emerges, <laughs> it emerges at the critical time. Well, if we could get a good look at Korg's weenie, he is also made out of rock. Who's Korg? Korg was a character in Thor Ragnarok, also living with Thor in Avengers Endgame. He's made out of rocks, just like Thing, uh, only he's gray. So, I bet you could get him to show you his winky before <laughs> Thing. Uh-huh. Thing has more of a temper, right? No, yeah, I think Thing is more uptight and I think Korg, if you just asked him really nice, who knows anything about his culture, it might be totally normal. Think about all the implications of having a rock body. What about your organs inside, your stomach, your lungs? Well, like I said- Your intestines. Korg's eyes and Thing's eyes appear to be regular organic tissue. So, maybe your organs are still organic tissue. And it does say rock-like skin, not rock-like whole body. Doesn't it make more sense for humans to have rock bodies instead of skeletons? Because then your organs are more protected. Well, that's an exoskeleton. And we just covered how you can easily crunch and squish a bug. But you can't easily crunch and squish rocks. Korg's lungs and spleen and liver and bladder are all extra protected from his rock body. I don't even know if Korg has those things because he's an alien. I don't know what's in the inside Okay, of but him. the thing has all those things. Well, he was a human so I'm assuming. Yeah, but think about one bad thing about the rock body, no, no, not a lot of booty to squeeze. There's no squishiness. Mm-mm. So, you just got to deal with a rock hard. He can only make his ass like clunk. <laughs> Can't clap, it can only kind of <laughs> thunk. Well, we don't even know if there's cheeks. Like this is uh, the thing twerking. <laughs> uh, Stan Lee, what a pervert. I didn't know I was going to become a Foley artist on this podcast today. Okay, so you've got I think three left. Yeah, okay. Number, number five, number six, and number eight. Are there any females? There is. There's one female. Captain Marvel. No, it's not Captain Marvel. And it's not Wonder Woman. Batwoman? Batgirl? No. It's a Marvel character. It's an X it's an X it's an X woman. The the one that's blue too. Uh that uh what's her name? Jennifer Lawrence plays in the n- new ones. No, it's not Mystique. Okay, I'm not gonna guess this one. It's an X Men? Let me start reading you her abilities. Was she played by Kelsey Grammer as well? <laughs> yeah. A, a expert tactician and thief? A psionic ability to manipulate weather patterns over vast area. I vaguely remember this in X-Men Apocalypse. She, she was played by Halle Berry. Her name is Storm. Okay. 
Storm, Jesus. You never hear about Storm by herself. Storm, uh, rarely, but because she's an X-Men, an X-Man or a member of the X-Men, she has lots of appearances. And she is actually a really big leader in the X-Men universe. She just hasn't really been popular in the movies and anyway. Storm has appeared in 7,777 issues of Marvel Comics, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one in 1975. What, what number is Storm? What number? Oh, on the list. She's number eight. Just behind Iron Man. Uh, her name is, I, I'm going to butcher this, Aurora Monroe. O-R-O-R-O. She's from the continent of Africa. I don't know what country. But like I was saying earlier... She controls the weather. She can control atmospheric pressure if you're trying to watch your barometer. She can do temperature modification. She has ecological empathy, which I, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, and the last thing on here is flight. Okay. All right. So, I need six and five. Yeah. You're missing six and five. So, you're missing an X-Man and an Avenger. Was the Avenger in the endgame? Yes. Who am I missing? Oh, Captain America, of course. Captain America is number five on the list with 9,139 yeah. issue appearances. I don't know how I missed him. Of course, he is a Marvel character. His first appearance in Captain America Comics number one. Now, I had incorrectly remembered that Captain America was created after as a reaction to the US joining World War II. This is not the case. Steve Rogers was administered super soldier serum in March of 1941. That is seven months. Yeah. I'm sorry, nine months before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He was punching Hitler out the year before Pearl Harbor. He wasn't tolerating Nazi shit from day one. He was created by writers who knew that the US getting into World War II was inevitable and they hated the Nazis and they wanted to create a character who beat the shit out of Nazis and I think that's awesome. So, yeah, he, Captain America was already beating the shit out of Hitler before America officially joined World War II. One could say that Captain America led us to victory in World War II, although that would probably be wrong. Hmm. So, Steve Rogers was given super soldier serum. It granted him peak human strength, speed, durability, agility, reflexes, senses, and mental processing. He is a master martial artist and hand-to-hand combatant. He has an accelerated healing factor. He's a max master tactician, strategist, and field commander. And he wields a vibranium shield. And in the Marvel Universe, vibranium is like a, this very extremely rare, unbreakable metal. I found out uh, during my research that in the comics, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave Captain America that shield. In the Oval Office, there's an image of FDR sitting in his wheelchair with a blanket over his lap, <laughs> looking all sickly, and he's just giving Captain America his shield. Well, yeah. Who else would give it to him? Yeah. So, Captain America is uh, number five. I know my number six guess. Okay. Uh, but before, I, I want to ask about the Watchmen. Are they in the top 25? There are no uh, Watchmen. There really aren't a lot of comics featuring the Watchmen outside of the original graphic novel and maybe some like short run spinoff series. Uh, but as popular as that graphic novel is, no. Alan Moore is 
very protective with his property rights. That's why I'm really surprised that HBO is getting a shot to uh, make a Watchmen series. It makes me think that Alan Moore probably didn't have any say over that. So, Watchmen's really popular but it's been minimal in terms of... Because the writer, the Alan Moore, the guy who holds the, you know, I think the intellectual property, I think holds the rights to it. Yeah, is very like anti-commercial and he's like a, you know, in vein of David Lynch, like a true artist to the point where, you know, he's probably lost out on millions and millions of dollars because he has uh, some principles. Six is Magneto. No, there's no bad guys on here, but Magneto would have been a good guess. Well, then I don't, that's the only other X-Men. Number six is the the leader of the X-Men team. Not Professor X, but if there's one guy who's like, I'm the, I'm just under Professor X and leading the X-Men, it would be this guy. I don't know. David Bowie. His real name is Scott Summers. Does that help? SpongeBob. Well, let me just give you his abilities and see if that helps you. He only has two on here. Optic Force Blasts and he's a master tactician. Optic Force Blasts. Oh, it's the guy that can shoot lasers out of his eyes. Yeah, his name's Cyclops. Okay. Uh, Cyclops is number six on the most popular comic heroes. Uh, 8,967 issue appearances for Cyclops in Marvel Comics. His first appearance was X-Men number one. In 1963, uh, same issue as Beast. Like I mentioned before, his real name is Scott Summers. He can shoot optic force blasts from his eyes. But Cyclops, reading about Cyclops and his abilities or his... To me, it was his lack of abilities that stands out because almost every superhero is like super powered and has super strength and super durability. What about Cyclops who has like... He is athletic. He has a very... Every one of these guys, he has a strong muscular body. But let's just say at most, he's as fit as like The Rock, right? No one's as fit as The Rock, but I'll get your point. So, right. We're being very generous here in saying that Cyclops is as tall and built as The Rock. Listener of the show. Right. But if The Rock got picked up and thrown by Juggernaut or another large, strong, super-powered mutant, he would die. So, I feel sorry for all of the X-Men or the other superheroes that have to fight or even lead a team alongside all these super strong and super durable heroes or guys who are made out of rock. Uh, but they just like, if they got hit in the head with a bullet, they'd be dead. Well, think about his inferior, inferior, inferiority complex with all these other superheroes around him that are so much better than him. You know, Cyclops is part of a uh, love triangle Whoa! because Cyclops's uh, girlfriend and I think later his wife is fellow X-Men Jean Grey. Is she the blue one? No, that's Mystique. Jean Grey is going to be played by uh, the actress who plays Sansa in the new movie. Oh, yeah. She was in Apocalypse. I remember seeing her. Oh, as, yeah, right, as uh, Jean Grey. So, she stars in uh, the new X-Men movie called Dark Phoenix. And uh, Jean Grey and Scott Summers are boyfriend-girlfriend and then later married. But Jean Grey and Wolverine share a mutual attraction but a relationship that is teased but can never start. And Cyclops has to be intimidated by Wolverine because like anything you do to him, he's just going to get up later and kick your ass. Yeah. Like the most, uh, the most you could do is blast him with your 
eye blasts and in a little while he would get up and murder you because you just have a regular soft human body like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever referred to as a soft body, <laughs> but uh, I, I take your point. You guys heard it here first. Cyclops is, uh, I mean, if you're going to be a superhero, be a superhero. Seems weak on the superhero totem pole. Cyclops' entire ability and his entire like life is built around just one of Superman's throwaway abilities. Yeah, another way to look at it is any other superhero in the top 10 can kick Cyclops' ass easily. Yeah. Maybe Spider-Man would be his best chance. If Cyclops was standing like 15 feet away looking in the other direction and you threw a big rock at his head, you could kill him easy. You know, the thing about Storm, I'm not, like not to jump but because I'm thinking about all the soup, the powers of these heroes. Yeah, she doesn't have super durability or super strength either. And her abilities all relate to the weather, right? Which it's really hard to like put up oh, a shield. If someone's running at you, if Wolverine or Sabretooth, Sabretooth's a bad guy. So, let's say Sabretooth is running at her from 20 feet away. What can she do with the weather in that in those like two seconds to stop a raging super powered primal beast? She just blow at him real hard? That's what I would do. I'd blow his ass away. But another thing is even if she did summon a tornado or something to like separate them. Mm-hmm. That's still going to affect all these civilians around you, right? Yeah, I'm glad you could save yourself by destroying a city block (laughs) since and the only reason that that bad guy showed up is because you showed up too. It's true. I think these superheroes are the real holier than thou narcissistic podcast hosts and sidekick hosts. It is pretty narcissistic to be like, I'm a superhero. (laughs) When bad shit happens, there's only one person who can show up and cut that shit out and it's me. I'm looking here. The oldest hero in the top 10 is Captain America in 1941. Oh, no. It's Superman, 1938. Oh, you're right. 1938. Was the concept of a superhero even a thing before the 1900s? Oh, like in the 1800s? I don't know. Yeah. I think they probably wouldn't use the word superhero, but I think Paul Bunyan and Pecos Bill, (laughs) you know, those like tall tale guys, John Henry. Yeah. I think they are probably the 19th century version of superheroes. I think like most generations or most cultures have like legends based on virtue. Yeah. I guess you could even say some of the heroes of like the Troy battle in uh, the Odyssey. Yeah. They're they're based on virtues and those characters are used to tell morality tales or and I think, yeah, I think they just had different versions of superheroes. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. So, we did it. Why don't you go back through, why don't you go through the 25 so we can hear some of the ones we haven't heard. Top 25 most popular comic book characters by number of issue appearances. I'll get to the numbers when I get hit 10. So, from 25 counting down, it's Kitty Pride. Never heard of it. Uh, Kitty Pride is from X-Men. Invisible Woman, she's uh, Fantastic Four. Rogue, X-Men. Nightcrawler, X-Men. Human Torch, Fantastic Four. Mr. Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Wonder Woman, DC, Archangel, Marvel, Jean Grey, Marvel, Professor X, Marvel, Colossus, Marvel, Dick Grayson, also known as the first Robin and now Nightwing from DC Comics, Hulk, Iceman, and then Thor is number 11. The top 10 are The Thing from Marvel Comics, Beast from Marvel Comics, 8 was Storm, 7 was Iron Man, 6 is Cyclops, 5 was Captain America, 
Number four is Spider-Man. Number three, Wolverine. The most popular Marvel character in terms of comic experiences, Wolverine with 12,912. Number two, Superman. And number one, Batman, 14,358 issue appearances. I can't believe there's even been that many comics in the world, period. Much less just comics that feature Batman. It's nuts. Think about multiple comics like, I don't know, 30, 40 different series of comics coming out every week, every year. And in some cases since the late 30s, early 40s, but definitely picking up in the early 60s, which would make it like nearly 60 years worth of tons and tons of comics. Stan Lee came around in the 60s, right? Yeah, Stan Lee. Marvel kind of hit the, um, what's it called? The Silver Age. Uh, the Silver Age of comics, I think, was like the early 60s and that's when Stan Lee created all those Avengers characters, Spider-Man, like Stan Lee gets a lot of credit for creating those characters as he should. He was like the voice or the face of Marvel for a long time. But there are a lot of other writers that he would be the first or if he was alive, uh, would be quick to tell you that they had a huge hand in creating them, other writers and artists. Uh, but yeah, Stan Lee is, has always been the face of Marvel and like I said, rightly credited with being a big part of creating all of this. Just as um, I am rightly credited with creating the Tennis Podcast. Two life achievements completely on par with each other. Yeah, well, that was uh, fun. I, that was edu... Edutainment. Edutainment education for me. I, yeah, I didn't know most of that. And when you were going through 25 through 11, I had not heard of like half of those. Yeah, maybe we should do a bonus, epi- bonus episode where I tell you a little bit about each of these characters that you will never ever care about. Maybe we shouldn't. It kind of makes it clear how dominant the top 10 to 15 are in like the lore of comic books. And you know, we've talked about this before too. It's uh, interesting how the nerd culture (laughs) Uh is like so mainstream now. You know what I mean? Like this stuff was not openly talked about in mainstream culture as it is now. And it's just kind of interesting how things have changed. No, uh, I guess you can think. I I credit the first Spider-Man movie more than anything, like I said. I think that opened the door. No, you you are right. It's weird that the Sony movie series, which... You know, Sony has really shit the bed on Spider-Man in recent years. That's why they loaned him out to Marvel to finally like do something right with him. Uh, Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man. So, when you see Spider-Man show up in the Marvel universe, it's because he's like on loan or in partnership with Sony who can't manage their superhero way out of a fucking bag. It's interesting that they got at least the first two Spider-Man movies in the early 2000s right. Yeah, I guess my point is like whether or not you love or hate those Tobey Maguire films, I feel like those were the first. I don't remember really hearing about superhero stuff before that, prior, any, aside from the 90s cartoons. The last superhero movies that I can think of that were like a big deal before that were the, the last like Batman movies that were just awful turds. Yeah, but even with those Batman movies, they seem so disconnected from the comics in terms of like you never heard anyone talk about comics. Oh my God. Yeah, I was actually thinking about the series of Batman movies that started with the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie yeah, and then ended with the Joel Schumacher uh, one with, uh, what was that, Batman and Robin with Arnold as the Iceman and Poison Ivy. The fir- the one in 1989, it was directed by Tim Burton. Again, a guy that I never would have associated with the Batman that had emerged at the end of the 80s was a return to this dark, gritty character and away from the campiness of the 60s. I love the campiness of the 60s and I love the grittiness of the 80s and the 1989 Batman actually does a really 
fun job of combining dark, gritty realism with campiness. It, it truly like kind of straddles that line and for that reason, I think it's a super fun movie and it's probably my favorite all-around Batman movie. Batman Returns was a little bit like that but it seemed to be a little bit more up its own ass than uh, the first one. And then they just got really bad. And I think people went back to the idea that superhero movies are fucking goofy. And after that last Batman movie, they're like, how are you going to make another Batman or make a superhero movie that we aren't laughing at, you know, the moment we hear about it. Right. And Spider-Man turned that shit around, made it, I wouldn't say adult, but it made it realistic. It made it like a good movie, made it something that was fun to follow. There's definitely a lot of shit you can pick apart from those Spider-Man movies in retrospect. but. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's what made people think, uh, yeah, I can go see a superhero movie and not feel embarrassed about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, anyway, do you have anything else you want to say about superheroes before I transition us? I think I've said all that could possibly be said. I think you've said more than enough. Um, my superpower is telling our listeners how to follow us on social media. Boom, bang, bam. <sighs> You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TennisPod10 ISHPOD. If you can't get enough of us, I encourage you to visit TennisPod.com, find our past episodes, buy some merch, get to know your host and sidekick host. That's TennisPod.com. If you have suggestions for future lists, you can hit us up on any of those social media accounts. You can also email us at TennisPod at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with episode 39 as we march toward episode 50. And I have a big idea for episode 50, Mr. Sidekick Host. Is it the big idea that I'm going to be granted equal co-host status? Absolutely not. It's uh, We're going to do an episode about the top 10 Maury moments. <laughs> Did you see I found the, the gifts for... Yeah, I thought... I, I swear in another part of that show, she claps when she says... I thought the same thing. Wash your ass! <laughs> but I couldn't find it. Yeah, wash your ass. That goes for you, our listeners. Wash your ass between now and the next episode. Once is probably enough, maybe twice. But yeah, we'll be back with a new top 10 list next week. And I want to thank you for listening. Hope you subscribe and listen to future episodes. I hope you wash your asses. I could take or leave the ass washing. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, it's me, the supervillain, here to tell you that the next episode in this Best of 2-Pack is coming right up. It's the most popular comic strips in newspaper history. It's a fun one. But first, enjoy this quick ad break. Although, P.S., I will tell you, Tennis Pod Plus members do skip all ads on all episodes. Just saying. Don't go anywhere. This is the Tennis Podcast, and I am Nick Amell. I'm Brandon. We hope that you Americans out there are still alive after blowing a firework up into your house and face. Brandon, how was your 4th of July that was in the past? Oh, since we're that recording hasn't happened yet? No, 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 the 4th of July has happened yet. Or yes, I mean, happened. yes, the future past. It was great. There were no loud fireworks in our house and all the small children and animals were peaceful. I don't think any of that's... I hear fireworks every night already. Anyway, this is the show where either myself or the sidekick host Brandon bring a top 10-ish list on anything and the other tries to guess without a heads up of what that list is. This time, that list is brought to us by Mr. Brandon. So, what are we talking about today? Tonight, I bring you... 
the most popular comic strips. Okay. We've talked about comic book characters. These yeah. are comic strips that appear in the daily newspaper or in sometimes in the weekly in the Sunday funnies. Okay, so this this will not include any like comic book no, characters. No, these are right, these are okay. strips. These are the single panel or three to four panel comic strips. Okay. I got to say this is this is a list idea I have yet to think of. <laughs> so, they don't have good data on circulation, which is what I wanted to base this on. The best list I was able to find comes from ranker.com. So, it's a reflection of uh-huh. all the I've used Ranker. On yeah, the it's yeah. The, all the people who have uh, voted on it. So, this is uh, hopefully a representative sample of how the English-speaking world feels about comic strips. For those that aren't familiar with Ranker, it's basically a site where it lists a bunch of comics and you can add your own as well and then everyone votes on it and it ranks it for you. That's why it's called Ranker. Do you know how many people voted on this particular Ranker? Well, the number one on here has about, has 4,729 votes. Okay. So, there's probably a few ten, tens of thousands of people that have voted on this and they're voting on the comic strip they like most. Right. Yes. Right? Okay. Now, let me oh, ask wait, you. I'm sorry. Here uh, it is. 80,000. Yeah. 80,000 80, votes okay. and 7.6 thousand voters. That's a good sample size. Side question. I thought, I thought of this while you were stumbling with your own notes. You know, like the Tulsa world, you know, newspapers, God, there's whole generations coming up now that will just not understand a newspaper. But when I was a kid, I would read the, the Sunday funnies, uh-huh. believe it or not. My question is like a Tulsa World or a regional local newspaper, which... For people who don't know, Tulsa World is not the world's most boring amusement park. It's... <laughs> Sorry. It's the name of our local major newspaper. Yeah, it's the top newspaper. My question is, they had a Sunday funny section, mm-hmm. but do they, who chooses those? Because it's not like Tulsa created those comics, you know? So, is there like a curator that chooses their favorite comics from somewhere? And puts them in each Sunday? No, we'll learn that there Brandon are... used to work for the Tulsa World, by the way. So, that's why I'm asking him. They're syndicated. So, the company that prints, you know, the Sunday funny that Tulsa World picks up, Tulsa World says they're going to work with a certain syndicator who's going to supply their Sunday funnies. That syndicator puts all the ones that they have into it and they usually have okay. all the big ones. And then they just hand it over to Tulsa World or whatever and Tulsa World just puts it in basically as is. Yeah, but they sell ads around it. They sell like local sure, ads, sure, sure. you know. I think ours always had like lumber ads and shit by it. Yeah, because when you're reading Dilbert, you want to know about lumber. I get it. Yeah, that's okay, the idea. So that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're guessing here. We have a top 10? Uh, I have notes on the top 10, but I actually have the top 32. Wow. 32 is where I stopped because 32 was the last one that I knew anything about. Well, yeah, I, I do have a decent memory of several Sunday funnies that, I, that I could guess. Command of comic strips. Well, I'm sure there's some old ones that I always skipped over when I was reading because I know, always had my go-tos in the are, Sundays. There are not very many on here that I don't recognize. Okay. That's in the top 32. I recognize all of the ones in the top 10. Some of them I was just much less aware of than others. Wasn't, I think there was like some Batman in the Sundays, Sunday funnies, wasn't there? Yeah, but those aren't, you know, like Prince Valiant. 
and there's the one that was the name of a woman and they're just like dramas. Boring. Yeah, they were boring. None of those are in here. These are all funny or supposed to be funny. While we've been going here, I looked up and I saw that uh, if you are interested in comic books, we did do the most popular comic book characters based on the number of issues each comic character has appeared in. Right. That's your Batmans, stuff like that. We did that back on episode 38. So, you should check that out. Okay. So, do you want me to start guessing? Yes. Huh. Okay. I said it earlier. Dilbert. Dilbert is number 11. He didn't make the top 10. That's surprising. Dilbert's like a, a cultural phenomenon. Everyone knows about Dilbert. Yeah. Do you know that the creator of Dilbert has said some like kind of controversial right-wing things recently? No. What do you say? I can't remember. I think he's like a, I think he might be a hardcore libertarian, but he... Did he say like Mr. Phil that more people die in swimming pool deaths than coronavirus? He may have. He says those kinds of things. Okay. It doesn't make Dilbert less funny, but... No, Dilbert's a quality comic. Does make you kind of pause and wonder what the deeper layer to Dilbert is. Dilbert was like the office of the Sunday funnies, right? Mm -hmm. That was kind of what it was striving for. Okay. How about uh, Baby Blues? Oh, interesting. I did not know that one by name. Uh, it's number 14. Okay, so I'm nailing the 11 to 20 range here. Mm-hmm. Well, I was not wanting to do this right away because I think it might be pretty high, but I'll do it. Family Circus? Family Circus is not in the top 10. It's number 16. Interesting. I was sure that would be like in the top five. Mm-mm. You, <sighs> mis- okay, you okay. underestimated everyone's love for the little... For, they did them mostly on Sundays, uh, the little blonde kid, they would uh, do, <laughs> yes. um, what do they call it, uh, a dotted line around the neighborhood, his path to like over the doghouse, crawling through somebody's car, going in the sewer. Crawling through someone's hot, fresh garbage. Crawling beside a bed where the neighbors are having sex. <laughs> what was that little kid's name, Petey? Crawling beside a grave uh, where someone's being buried alive. <laughs> yeah calling out for help and he just keeps going. What's that little guy's name? Archie. This sounds maybe something like that. Remember Bobby's World? It was a, not a strip but a TV show. Yeah. That kid had a trike too or a, a big wheel. Yeah. So, that's something. Yeah, it sure is. Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, Calvin and Hobbes is number one on the list. Knew it. That's okay because there's plenty to talk about with old Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes was a daily American comic strip by Bill Watterson. It was syndicated in November 1985 till December 1995. It follows the antics of Calvin, a precocious, mischievous, and adventurous, uh, that's a mouthful for a child, uh, six-year-old boy. It's like you if you took out the adventurous and you just stuck with mischievous and what was the other one? Precocious. That's you. That's me. And Hobbes, his sardonic stuffed tiger. The fuck Hobbes, is sardonic? It's like, um, not quite sarcastic, but kind of like a, a, like a dry, dark sense of humor. So, that's me. So, Hobbes. You're Calvin and I'm Hobbes. Was both a living anthromo- anthropomorphic <laughs> tiger. Uh-huh. But all the other characters saw Hobbes as an inanimate stuffed toy. Yeah, Calvin Hobbes was uh, at the top of the list. Did you know there have been 45 million copies of Calvin and Hobbes books sold? Oh, yeah. Are the books just like collections of the Sunday strips? They are. And through the books, you see that a lot of those strips 
uh, the daily strips were part of much larger stories. I actually have, uh, my mom saved about four or five of the Calvin and Hobbes books from when I was younger. And yeah, they're still, they're great. Something about all of these comic strips that I found mm -hmm. interesting were how many collections of books they had. And I have more information on those as we go, as we talk about some tonight. Um, you might get to this at some point, but I, I am interested to know or talk about how comic book, uh, sorry, Sunday comic strip writers, what, how are they doing these days? Is that still, is this still a thing? I, I wondered about that as I was doing this. Um, I think if you're widely, if you're like nationally syndicated, you're probably fine. Like there's one that is, it's number 26. It's still running, I think, called Non Sequitur. These syndication companies have got to be hurting right now. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't so actually anyway. have any, any information on that. So, Bill Watterson was yep. the uh, creator of Calvin and Hobbes. He took two sabbaticals from the daily requirements of producing the comic strip. His first sabbatical took place from May 91 to February 92. And then he took another from April to December 1994. Those sabbaticals were included in a contract that Watterson managed to negotiate with Universal Features, that was his syndication company, in 1990. Those sabbaticals were proposed by the syndicate themselves, uh, who, fearing Watterson's burnout, endeavored to, give, to get another five years worth of work from him. Um, so, that's like they gave him these sabbaticals. He's the third cartoonist who had sufficient popularity and stature to receive a sabbatical from their syndicate. The first one was Gary Trudeau, who wrote Doonesbury, and the second was Gary Larson, who wrote The Farsight. And following his second sabbatical, his second, like, long vacation, Watterson made the decision to retire from the comic strip completely. What year was that that he retired? December 95. So, it's just been rerun since then? If it appears in a newspaper, yes, it is a rerun. He has not written a new one since 95. Man, I, you know, it's interesting you're talking too. Something else that kind of stood out to me is unlike a movie or a TV show, and I think comic books, you can correct me on that, it sounds like it's just one guy writing yes. cartoons. You know, it's, there's not a company or a team behind him. Very few of these have a separate writer and artist, which is something I think is really cool that the entire thing mm -hmm. is all their art. There's some comic book writers like that, like The Dark Knight Returns was written and drawn by, what's his name, uh, Frank Miller. And then, that, you know, comic books usually have a different writer and a different, you know, a writer and a different artist. But no, usually yeah. with comic strips, it's just one fellow or lady. Yeah, it's not like us. We have a whole, people might not realize this, we have a whole team behind us that does our research <laughs> and our social media and writes the scripts. Uh, that we read off of and pretend is just organic banter. Carefully crafted. Yes. Okay, so tell me more about uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes is also notable for its complete lack of official product merchandising. Watterson was opposed to merchandising and he struggled to maintain control over this. There is almost no legitimate Calvin and Hobbes merchandise in existence. Exceptions are he made two calendars a t-shirt for the Smithsonian exhibit on comic strips, and a textbook called Teaching with Calvin and Hobbes, which is the most hard to find of the already rare Calvin and Hobbes merchandising products. 
There are lots of, however, counterfeit Calvin and Hobbes items, such as window decals and t-shirts featuring crude humor, binge drinking, and other themes not present in Watterson's work. Is this the one where the kid is pissing on something? Like yes. with his back turned to you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. My next note is Bill Watterson Riley commented, I clearly miscalculated how popular it would be to show Calvin urinating on a Ford logo. <laughs> uh, it's estimated that he left $350 million in merchandising on the table. Why is he so against it? It seems like a weird thing to take a stand against. Uh, because it's against, it's against the theme of the, it's one, against one of the many themes or the spirit of the comic strip. Whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure he's not like hurting for money or anything, but yeah, if he would have just, uh, licensed it, he could have had a piece of all those Calvin with his hat on backwards, urinating a perfect rainbow arc of whiz yes. onto an upside down Texas Longhorn logo. <laughs> Yep. Okay, so that was Calvin and Hobbes number one. Was Winnie the Pooh a comic strip? No. I kind of named off my go-tos already. I'm actually kind of struggling now. Some of these are like... What, uh, Dick Tracy? No, Dick Tracy's not on here. Uh, some of these are like, you'll want to kick yourself in the head, they're so obvious. Are any of them like full-time cartoons or have been since then? Cartoon shows? Yes. Uh, there's at least two of them ha that have taken the total opposite route from Calvin and Hobbes when it comes to merchandising. One of them has had a television special for every holiday under the sun. Oh, it's uh, the Peanuts. Yeah. Charlie Brown. Peanuts is number three on the list. Peanuts is the third most popular comic strip. Hmm. Peanuts is a syndicated daily and Sunday American comic strip written and illustrated by Charles M. Schultz. It ran from... Allegedly. <laughs> ran from I have my doubts that it's legitimate. October 1950 to February 2000. God damn. And it continues and reruns today. 50 years of doing the same thing. It's among the most popular and influential in the history of comic strips with 17,897 strips published in all, making it arguably the longest story ever told by one human being, which I don't know about that. It's in quotes, so I guess somebody said it. Could have been said by an idiot. Hmm. Together with its merchandise earned Schultz more than $1 billion. Wait, that's in his pocket or that's what the whole... That's what it earned him, more than $1 billion. That is insane. I mean, when I was a kid, you could have the peanuts on your underwear. This guy just started doodling, I'm sure. And then he doodled, his doodles. He doodled up a billion dollars. You know, no one's going to say that he was in the top one or even maybe five or 10% of artists in the world. You know what I mean? It's not like he got successful because his art was the best or probably even his stories. It's just like a whole combination. It's almost a perfect storm. Well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just like... Well, let me... I can tell you a little bit more about what made okay. Peanuts special. It focuses entirely on a social circle of young children where adults exist but are never seen and rarely heard. The main character, Charlie Brown, is meek, nervous, and lacks self-confidence. He is unable to fly a kite win a baseball game, or kick a football held by his friend, uh, his friend slash his frenemy, Lucy. 
she always pulls it away at the last instant, you know? Yep. You got to pull it out last minute. Am I right, boys? Peanuts is one of the literate strips with philosophical, psychological, and sociological overtones that flourished in the 1950s. Peanuts' humor is psychologically complex and the characters' interactions formed a tangle of relationships that drove it. And I mentioned before, it's had multiple TV specials. Their Christmas, Peanuts Christmas, what is it called? Charlie Brown Christmas? Yeah. That's my favorite Christmas album, the music for that. Computer animated movie that I did not see, but my kid said was good. Mm -hmm. But he also he also <laughs> thinks America's Funniest Videos is the funniest show on television. Should we get him on the pod, get his critical take on it? I'd have to wake him up. Uh, Snoopy, did you know Snoop? Do you know what kind of dog Snoopy is? Beagle. Yeah, Doesn't look like anything like a beagle in my opinion, but that's what Do you is. remember his brother Spike? No. He has a brother named Spike. He has sleepy eyes and a mustache and a, like a fedora and he lives alone in the desert. <laughs> I think his brother uh -huh, Spike okay. is... I don't remember this. I think his brother Spike is a weed head. He looks a little smoked up. That's okay. We're fine with that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, that's Peanuts. Hey, what was that? What was his bird's name that hung out with Snoopy? Woodstock. Woodstock, that's it. Yeah. Why that name? I don't know. It was cute. Okay. Hey, I thought of one that might be in the top 10. Rocky and Bullwinkle, wasn't that a comic strip? It was not. And no, it's not. Okay, well, I've been Mandela, effect, Mandela affected then, Do I Do you guess. want me to give you numbers 32 through 11? Yeah, please. Maybe we'll get you in the zone. Number 32, Kathy. 31, Get Fuzzy. 30, Broomhilda. 29, Archie Broomhilda! Cox. Yeah, you remember Broomhilda? forgot Broom about Broomhilda. She, yes. she was a fat green witch. God, she's hot. 28, Pickles. Number 27, Andy Cap. 26, Non Sequitur. Non Sequitur? God, I'm bad at that. Number 25, Doonesbury. You remember that? No. It always seemed like it was for super smart older people. No. Doonesbury. Number 24, Mutts. 23, The Lockhorns. Number 22, Marmaduke. Ah. Uh. Yeah, 21, Pogo. 20, High and Lois. 19, Dennis. Was 21, Pogo? Was that based on John Wayne Gacy killing so. children? Okay. Yeah, it was hilarious. 19, <laughs> Dennis the Menace. Ah. 18, Pearls Before Swine. 17, Mother Goose and Grimm. 16, Family Circus. 15, Bloom County. 14, Baby Blues. 13, Blondie. 12, The Wizard of Id. 11, Dilbert. I'd say I'd heard of like half of those at best. Yeah. Maybe. Well, they probably weren't picked up by the papers in Tulsa. That's why you didn't remember them. Hey, Tulsa's my world. So, hey, listen, another one on the merchandise train. Yeah. Think car window suction cup. Car window suction cup. Mm-hmm. A little guy clinging to a car window. A little plush orange and black cat. Oh, Garfield. Yeah. Is number two, Garfield. No, Garfield is number nine. No, it's not. People do not have warm feelings about Garfield. Probably because okay, the humor well, blows. Come on, Jesus. What are these hot takes on Garfield? <laughs> what? Garfield sucks. Garfield's fine. What's what? You never noticed Garfield. Fine. Garfield always uh, bitched about Mondays, but he didn't have a job. Well, I, that's probably part of the joke because he's a cat. Well, fuck him. That's why it's funny. Now listen, Amer uh, a Garfield is an American comic strip created by Jim Davis, 
who loves money. <laughs> Originally published locally as John in 1976, it made nationwide syndication from 1978 up to now. As of 2013, it was syndicated in roughly 2,580 newspapers and journals, and it held the Guinness World Record for being the world's most widely syndicated comic strip. Goddamn. Number nine. It chronicles the life of the title character Garfield the Cat, John Arbuckle, his human owner, and Odie the dog. Yes. Uh, it was Odie couldn't talk, right? Garfield could talk, yeah. but Odie couldn't? Odie couldn't talk. He just, his eyes looked in mm -hmm. slightly opposite directions, and he seemed happy, but he was kind of stupid. He was like both of my dogs. I wish you were more like Odie and didn't talk. Jim Davis started drawing comics digitally using a graphics tablet in 2011. Hmm. I don't know why I found that interesting. Garfield has had two TV series and 12 yeah. primetime specials. I watched the Garfield cartoon when I was a little tyke. Uh, he's had two theatrical films and three direct-to-video sequels after that. He's wasn't the... Um, sorry, but wasn't one of the theatrical films, like I see it in my head where... It was like a digital version yeah, and he would slide in with sunglasses on and like a, yeah. a mixing spoon. Yeah, they were CGI. One was Garfield and the other one was Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> My kid is constantly wa asking to watch them. <laughs> That's why you dislike Garfield right there. You're biased no, because you're I sick of your kid asking about it. I've thought Garfield humor sucked since I was a kid. I like Garfield ironically, but unironically, he sucks. There's I been, like you saying kitties. There's been some Garfield video games too. He's had games for Atari, Commodore 64, Sega Genesis, Nintendo DS, the Game Boy, and one of the worst games I've ever heard of. A game for PS2 called Garfield Lasagna World Tour. What's wrong with that? I checked out this game. It's an open world sandbox game where you go on a world tour of eating lasagna. <laughs> yeah. From what I saw, Garfield never leaves his neighborhood. IGN.com, the video game website, gave it a 2.5 out of 10. I kind of want to play it. It looks cute, but it does look like it plays really bad. It said it's got so many bugs, like you, it's unplayable. I like the idea of a Garfield open world sand <laughs> sandbox style game. Like Grand Theft Auto Garfield. Why lasagna, by the way? Have you ever seen a cat eat lasagna in real life? No, but it's really hard for me to argue with lasagna because I really like lasagna. Yeah, I fucking bet you do. Uh, before the sale of Paws Incorporated in August 2019, all of the profits from the merchandising went to Paws Incorporated, of which Jim Davis is the CEO and fan founder. So all the profits from merchandising go to that company. And unlike any other comic strip, Davis decided to personally merchandise his comic strip rather than waiting for someone else to license it out for him. He created Garfield. And got uh -huh. him syndicated nationwide in 1978 and he was immediately like, we need telephones shaped like Garfield. We need Garfield <laughs> on a poster saying, I hate Mondays and we need another one where he's saying, hang in there. And we need Garfield as memes in the 2000s where 
old lame people share that they hate Mondays in a Garfield meme or gif. I bet if Jim Davis could make money off of memes, he would have done it. Anyway, this has yeah. led Garfield to be the most profitable comic strip character, only rivaled by Snoopy and the other Peanuts characters. Garfield's face mm-hmm. has appeared on nearly every product imaginable. I also had Garf. There's a picture of me um, on Easter Sunday when I was, I look like I'm three or four, and I'm wearing like underoos with Garfield on them <laughs> and a pair of sunglasses that have little, little bitty Garfield faces on the corner. So, you did like Garfield? Well, you know, when I was an idiot child. Every product imaginable, including toothbrushes, cameras, rugs, and thermos. The fat cat has infiltrated... This is pulled directly from the internet. The fat cat has infiltrated the homes of millions. Mm -hmm. By my calculations, Garfield has appeared in one, like collections of his comics. JK, just guess how many Garfield books there have been. Books? Wild guess. Yeah. 300. Well, fuck. You said way too many. 171 books. That's a lot still. It's still a lot. I only guessed high because you built it up. I probably would have said something more like 40. 30 VHS and DVD releases. Figurines, toys, plush dolls, those suction cup feet window cleaners I mentioned before. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've never seen that. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, well... I think you just see Garfield because, like, you're hyper-focused on Garfield things out there. Whereas I would not notice window clings. This is another instance where the more you talk, the more you're going to make yourself look stupid because everybody knows about the Garfield window cling. I'm looking it up. Everybody does. I promise you most of the people listening right now are like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. You say it's his feet? Yeah, it's on his hands and feet. The, The places where a cat would cling to something. Oh, but his whole body's there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this out in the wild. Uh, Garfield also came out with an album called, titled, Am I Cool or What? There's a Garfield bikini where his face with an open mouth is where the giant goes. Yuck. Uh, baby Garfield <laughs> is featured on Sam's Club brand diapers. Okay. Which I think we get diapers from Sam's Club and I've never seen Garfield on them. Are these the diapers for your kid or for you? These are, yeah, these are children's diapers. Uh, So, there's an amusement park near Pittsburgh called Kennywood. I don't know why it's called Kennywood. Uh, Garfield is one of their mascots and they have two Garfield themed rides. One is called, (laughs) one is called Garfield's Nightmare. It's a haunted house ride. Uh-huh. And then it's a free fall ride for kids. Oh, the, the other one is called the Pounce Bounce. And that's a free fall ride <laughs> that's for kids. <laughs> the Pounce Bounce. I like hearing you say all these cute little names. Yeah. So, I mentioned the phone. Tyco released a novelty Garfield telephone in 1978. Do you remember this? Tel- I know you don't remember the window things. You lived some kind of fucking alternate universe. Do you remember the Garfield telephone? Not really, but I, maybe if I saw it. It was, a, it was definitely like an 80s thing. I'm looking at it now and it's hard for me to imagine it being in someone's home. <laughs> it was definitely the you kind know? of thing like a teenager or like a wacky art teacher would have. Yeah. Garfield phone. Let me look this thing up. It's icky. Yeah, the phone was his back. 
You picked his back up out of his body. So, <laughs> those Garfield telephones became the center of many news reports because they've continually washed up on a French beach over a 35-year period. These telephones would just wash up on a beach. These sh- shitty old Garfield telephones. And it's because someone was shipping, like a shipping container full of Garfield phones fell in the ocean. And they get picked up by the currents and the Garfield phone comes to shore. Oh, for over 35 years? Yeah, there must, I mean. You know, in Castaway, where, you know, a lot of the stuff he survives on is stuff that was in FedEx boxes that washed up on shore with him. Yeah. Imagine if he opened one and it was one of the fucking phones, you know? Like, what, what's he going to do with that phone? Eventually, he would probably make it into either a weapon or something to love. Or a noose to hang himself with. Now, have you ever seen Garfield minus Garfield? No. Garfield minus Garfield is a webcomic that takes reprints of past Garfield comics and somebody goes in and removes all of the characters except John Arbuckle. It has been described as a journey deep into the mind of an isolated young everyman as he fights a losing <laughs> battle against loneliness and depression in a quiet American suburb. So, wait, the comics are the exact same yeah. as they were originally, except yeah. John's the only one still in them. They Photoshop out Garfield and his thought bubbles and Odie and anything else. It's just John reacting to nothing and acting utterly <laughs> insane. <laughs> that's, that's such a good idea. I wonder why that doesn't happen more often. Uh, I think it did get kind of ripped off, but the guy who grabbed the URL Garfield minus Garfield was ultimately the winner. <laughs> Now, have you also seen the creepy Garfield meme? No. It's also known as I'm Sorry, John. I've seen this in a few different places. It is a series of Garfield-inspired artwork in which Garfield is depicted as a Lovecraftian horror creature stalking his owner, John, often addressing Job with such remarks as I'm sorry, John, and I require lasagna. They're great. He's huge. What's it called? The series? Creepy Garfield meme or I am sorry, John. Just do Google search for I'm sorry, John, and you'll see. Oh, God. He's the scariest. That's amazing. Scariest version of Garfield there is. He looks like a cross between Cthulhu and Jabba the Hutt and Garfield. Yes. So that's Garfield. Garfield minus Garfield is the most brilliant thing. I got to look through more of those because the few I was scrolling through are pretty fucking funny. Well. You're going to need some help with the rest of these. I, I am. I, yeah, I guess I'm not as good at this as I thought I might be. There's only one more of these I think you could guess, but we're going to try. So the number two on the list, the second most popular is for the most part a single panel comic. It means it's just one picture with a subtitle underneath. I'll get, read you the description. Surrealistic humor, often based on uncomfortable social situations, improbable events, an anthropomorphic view of the world, logical fallacies, impending bizarre disasters, and twisted references to proverbs or the search for the meaning in life. Some recurring themes in this single panel comic include people being stranded on desert islands, aliens, heaven, hell, and the life of cave people. Many cartoons focused on animals, especially cows. 
I don't know. This guy loved to draw like fat ladies with beehive hairdos who had like pet wiener dogs. I mentioned him earlier. He was one of the other cartoonists who earned himself a couple sabbaticals. It was Gary Larson who drew The Far Side. Oh, The Far Side. Yeah, I don't think I ever read the, or looked at those. I also had is a Farside lot. Is Farside number two? Farside is number two. The Farside was one of my favorites too. I recognize it now that I'm, I'm looking it up and I recognize a lot of these characters. Yeah, the far side style is very distinct. Like people wearing glasses, but there are no pupils or eyeballs in the glasses. Mm-hmm. Big kind of pointy noses. Uh, the far side ran from December 1979 to January 1995 when Gary Larson retired as a cartoonist. As I mentioned before. Why retire, by the way? I mean, don't you just sit in a chair and fucking draw a cartoon? I mean... I guess if you don't need the money, but... Well, he also had to do it every day. That, I mean, that's kind of the, what makes the sabbaticals sound so nice is it's no small feat to produce like a quality joke and draw it well every single day. You know, sometimes they're, they do like a daily and a Sunday. They do like a daily and a weekly. I think that sounds like a lot of work, feeling like you always have to, always have to be on even around holidays and stuff. Nah. Okay. Well, Sunday comics were double-sized and they were done in watercolor or colored pencils with the captions handwritten in Gary Larson's own hand. So, see, there's even more work. His comics relied on a combination of a visual and a verbal gag rather than just one or another. And other than the clues that I already gave you, I can also tell you that within the last few years, thefarside.com was relaunched and now features a collection of the Far Side comics every day. Is it new stuff too? No. Hmm. So that's the Far Side. That's the Far Side. Some of these are kind of funny looking. <laughs> There's one where um, two office guys are working in an office room and their desks are identical but they're facing each other. Everything about them is identical. Uh-huh. And one is pointing at the other and says, one day, Wilson, I'll be sitting at that desk. <laughs> that, you know, speaking about a promotion, it's fucking cute. That's all I'm saying. Hey, these are good. No, these are good. Yeah. So, of the remaining ones, let's see. So, there's one that is uh, the next one on the list. All the characters are cavemen. It's not the Flintstones. It's set in prehistoric times. Features a group of cavemen and anthropomorphic animals, you would recognize it if you saw it, but I also did not remember the name of this one. I'm cheating now. I'm looking at a list of comics. You fucking cheating. I just can't re- I mean, I don't know. What is it's it? It's two letters. B-C. No, I haven't heard of that. You might remember like the art if you saw the drawings of the characters. But anyway, B-C is a daily American comic strip created by cartoonist Johnny Hart who sounds like a teenage heartthrob. (laughs) Johnny Hart made up this caveman comic strip and made its debut February 17th, 1958 and was among the longest running strips still written and drawn by its original creator when Hart, listen to this, died at his drawing board. Oh my. In Nineveh, New York on April 7th, 2007. Of what? Heart attack? Uh... He got shot. Do you think it's possible he laughed himself to death at his own comic in (laughs) progress? 
It's taken me 50 years, but I've written something so fucking hilarious that I'd killed myself. Now it's produced (laughs) by his grandson, Mason Mastroianni, and it's syndicated by Creators Syndicated. Uh, Hart was inspired to draw cavemen and many other creatures through the chance suggestion of one of his coworkers. He was an engineer at General Electric who took to this idea because it was a combination of simplicity and the origin of ideas. Originally, the strip was set firmly in prehistoric times with the characters clearly living in an era that was untouched by modern times. Uh-huh. Plot lines were about like discovering, figuring out like a use for the wheel. Later, they featured more references to modern life, current events, and celebrities, and had Flintstones-like modern devices. A Washington Post columnist and comics critic Gene Weingarten suggested that BC is not set in the past, but in a dystopic post-apocalyptic future. Did you say that critic's name? Say the critic's name again. Gene Weingarten. What are the odds that a critic has the word wine in his name because he's whining all the time? It does sound like Gene Weingarten can grow up to be anything else other than a Washington Post co- <laughs> columnist and comics critic. Yeah. That's an interesting take though. Has uh, Johnny Hart ever, you know, has the heartthrob himself ever uh, commented on that? Yeah, he was asked on April 7th, 2007 what he thought about it, and he went, <laughs> and dropped dead at his drawing board at his home in Nineveh, New York. I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> it was a really good like death rattle kind of old man <laughs> shuffling loose his mortal coil. You got it wrong because he was mid-laugh when he died. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with the wheel. <laughs> I'm looking at one now where a caveman is on his knees praying and he says, God, if you're up there, give me a sign. <laughs> There's a big neon flashing sign that says, I'm up here. <laughs> That's good. It's good stuff. What number was BC? BC was number four on the list. So, number five on the list, I know you're going to kind of remember when you guess it. I think I mostly remember it from the Sunday comics because it was in color and it jumped out because the main character had a big red beard. He was the main big character. The title character and the main character of this American comic strip created by cartoonist Dick Brown. Dick Brown. And, and syndicated by King Features Syndicate. This comic first appeared in 1973. It was an immediate success since Brown's retirement in 1988. And it says in subsequent death. So, does that mean he <laughs> retired and then died or retired because he died? His son, Chris Brown... Not the guy that beat the shit out of Rihanna, just the guy who draws comic strips. Uh, Chris Brown has continued the strip. I like how Chris Brown, the Rihanna beating Chris Brown. He just has like a free pass again in society now. Like no one ever even brings that up. Well, he sings good. Well, does he? Literally get out of jail free card. Uh, So, this comic strip is a caricature commenting on modern day life in the United States through a loose interpretation of Viking Age Scandinavian life. Viking Age. The main character is a Viking with red hair. He wears a helmet with little horns on it. Oh, yeah. Hagar? Hagar the Horrible. Hmm. He is a shaggy, scruffy, overweight, red-bearded Viking. 
He regularly raids England and sometimes France. Animation industry writer Terence J. Sachs notes the juxtaposition of contrary qualities that make Hagar endearing to the reader. He says Hagar's horned helmet, rough beard, and shaggy tunic make him look somewhat like a caveman or an opera viking. But you also know Hagar has a soft underbelly occasionally exposed. Yeah, just like you. I don't know what that means. (laughs) There have been a bunch of Hagar books. There have been 69 books that are a collection of (laughs) Hagar. Can you believe that? Hagar, Hagar the Horrible, who you could barely remember, has had 69 books, collections of his comics published. And you know what? The guy, Dick Brown, that made Hagar? Great name. No, I, I want to tell you about him. He has two problems with his name. I'm looking at his, the spelling of his name on the comic. Dick Brown is spelled D-I-K for Dick. Yep. And then because he's an asshole, his last name, Brown, has an E on the end. So, so tell both us. words are non-traditional spellings. Yeah, he says it's Brown with an E. And somebody's like, wait, what? Instead of like an O? Yeah. Yeah, so now he's dead, right? Yeah, he's, he's totally dead. Dick up in the grave, you might say. Yeah. So, you got, well, you've gotten. Wait, what number was that? That was number five. So, we've crossed off numbers one, two, three, four, five, and nine. How about uh, there's one whose name is an alliteration and he's in the army. Oh, army. Oh, I can see it in my head. Uh, Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey. Knew it. Beetle Bailey is number eight on the list. Knew it. Did Beetle Bailey ever make you laugh? I don't remember ever reading him. Nah, not really. It's not that good. It's an American comic strip created by cartoonist Mort Walker, published since September 4th, 1950. All of these, like, that I remember, well, I mean, I mean, remember reading Joe's recently as, like, within the last year. I cannot believe how long ago they started. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, set on a fictional United States Army post. In the years before Walker's death in the year 2018, at age 94. All these idiots keep dying. Is there something about writing comics that kills you? It's very dangerous, yeah. Uh, It was among the oldest comic strips still being produced by its original creator. Over the years, Mort Walker had been assisted by, among others, Jerry Dumas, Bob Gustafson, Frank Johnson, and Walker's sons, Neil Bryan and Greg Walker, who are continuing the strip after his death. To me, that seems like the easiest thing in the world. Take the comic strip your dad created, did for 50 plus years, firmly established who the characters are, and you just got to keep this gravy train rolling. And by then, you're probably not even hand drawing anymore. You're just like... You can probably just program a computer to pump out Beetle Bailey. There's a chance that they just hire illustrators and they just like... Do you remember how when he would get into a scuffle, it would be like a cloud with arms and legs uh-huh. sticking out? Sure. Most of the humor in Beetle Bailey revolves around the inept characters stationed at Camp Swampy. <laughs> it's inspired by Camp Crowder where Walker had once been stationed while in the army. Private Bailey... Camp Swampy sounds like... Yeah. Uh, Camp Swampy sounds like my underwear in the summer. That's <laughs> going, Yeah. Private Bailey is oh a lazy sort of a goof off and he takes naps and he, avoid, he avoids work and then he's the subject of verbal and physical chastising from his superior officer 
Sergeant Snorkel. It sounds like a, a pet name for someone's dick. Yeah. Beetle is always seen with a hat or a helmet covering his forehead and eyes. He can only be seen without a hat over his eyes once. It's in the original strip when he was still a college student. The strip was pulled and it never ran in any newspaper. Maybe because his, I guess his eyes are fucking hypnotizing. <laughs> it has only been printed in various yeah. books on the strip's history. One daily strip had Sarge scare Beetle's hat off, but underneath, Beetle was wearing sunglasses. He's been licensed too. Over the years, Beetle Bailey characters have been licensed for dolls, t-shirts, salt and pepper shakers, toys, telephones, music box. Wait, wait, wait. Salt and pepper shakers? Yeah. Why? Why are you telling me that? Why not? Why wouldn't you want them? Well, it's like the third or fourth thing you mentioned out of everything in the world. I don't know. That's how it was listed when I was copying stuff down. All right. Hand okay. puppets, coffee mugs, cookie jars, neckties, lunch boxes, paperback books, games, bobblehead nodders, <laughs> or just bobbleheads, <laughs> banks, lapel pins, and greeting cards. The multi- Banks? Yeah. Like piggy banks? Not like the first bank of Beetle Bailey. Yeah, like a piggy bank. Okay, well. 104 books with collections of Beetle Bailey comic strips floating around out there. Can you imagine? See, the merchandising and the licensing, that's where the money is. Who is buying up a Beetle Bailey book? Boomers. Okay, so there's two more in here and I don't think you're, <laughs> I don't think you're going to guess. So, you know, I told you I'm looking at a list of like comics yeah. and some of these are like jumping out and I'm remembering them now. Okay. So, let me name off a few. The Born Loser. No. Excuse me. I'm sorry, am I boring you? You were, yes. He's not on here. Born Loser's not in the top 32. Zitz. Zitz is number six. Fucking knew it. How convenient to have a list right in front of you. Now, Zitz is a comic strip written by cartoonist Jerry Scott and illustrated by Jim Borgman. So, this does Love have Jim two, Borgman. Yeah, this has two different... See, that's not fair. Sorry. And... Jerry Scott's calling himself a cartoonist, but he's just writing it. It's about the life of Jeremy Duncan, a 16-year-old high school sophomore. It is set in central, central Ohio suburbia, centering on Jeremy as he tries to balance his family life, social life, the academic standards of high school, and his plans for the future, often with a heavy dose of surrealism making it stand out from being just a typical teenager cartoon strip. So unique. Yeah, debuted in July 97 and over 200 newspapers became popular worldwide, received multiple awards. It seems Hang on, 97, that, this is the most recent one we've talked about, right? Yeah, it is. As of 2010, it continues to be syndicated by King Features. It's now included in more than 1,700 newspapers worldwide in 45 countries and is translated into 15 different languages. Huh. It's actually not that interesting to me. It's fine for a comic strip. Did you have zits when you yeah, were... Yeah, I recognize it. No, oh, did you, you mean ha- like literal... Did you have zits on your yeah. face when you were a 16-year-old high school sophomore? Yes, I had, I had a lot of zits problems. Thanks for bringing it up. Were you embarrassed? Of course. Did you get teased? Brandon, nah. what, what are you doing here? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I had zits and nah. I don't remember being teased about it because everyone else I knew fucking had zits. Nah. I did. Perfect skin. So, number seven. Let's Hang get on. to... But before you go into that, you yeah. mentioned perfect skin, right? 
Yeah. That's a really good segue. Because th- when you think about perfect skin, I also think about the perfect podcast app, right? <laughs> yeah, they go hand in hand. And I think the perfect podcast app <laughs> is Hubble. That's H-U-B-L. Uh, their app logo is a red background with a telescope on it. And I want to recommend this app because it's a cool way to figure out and listen to the best episodes of a podcast. Normally on a podcast app, you open it up and you go to a podcast and you have to just kind of either start with the first episode, start with the latest, take a guess. But the Hubble podcast app ranks episodes from a podcast based on reviews. So, when you rate and review our episodes or any episodes, it helps podcasters like us continue to improve the show and know which episodes our listeners like best. So, yeah, go download the free Hubble podcast app. Again, that's H-U-B-L. Search for the Tennis Podcast, find us there, follow us, and rate the shit out of us. We'd appreciate it. Yes. So, let's talk about number seven. Number seven. I have another guess. Okay. For better or for worse. For better or for worse is number seven. I can't believe it. I mean, are you impressed with my mind reading abilities right now? absolutely not. Now, listen. (laughs) For better or for worse, this is the one I think I knew the least about. It's a comic strip by Lynn Johnston that ran originally from 1979 to 2008. It chronicles the lives of the Patterson family and their friends in the town of Millborough, a fictitious suburb of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And now it runs as reruns, still seen in more than 2,000 newspapers throughout Canada, the United States, and 20 other countries. Is the creator Canadian? Yeah, her name is Lynn Johnston and she is from Ontario. This is also the first female creator we've talked about. Yes. And... Females just aren't very creative, right, Brandon? (laughs) This is the most interesting background on the comment that I read about. So, a signature element of For Better or For Worse during its original run was that the characters aged in real time. Okay, so you probably vaguely remember reading For Better or For Worse, right? And it was about a family? I'm looking at a, a picture of it and I do, I do recognize it, yes. I recognize it too, but what I did not realize was that it followed them every day or week, however, off, however often it was published, at least every week, it followed this family in real time through their lives. This is 1979 to 2008. So, you get a 29-year arc to these characters. So, here we go. Ellie Patterson uh, is a stressed woman, yet loving wife and mother of three. Ellie tried night classes, writing columns for a small local paper, and periodically filling in as a dental assistant in John's office before landing a job in a library. Nearing menopause, Ellie was surprised to learn that she was pregnant with their daughter, April. After the library job ended, Ellie began working in a bookstore which she and John eventually bought and expanded to include toys and hobby supplies such as model railroads. She then sold the store to her friend and began retirement. John Patterson, husband to protagonist Ellie and father, he is a mild-mannered dentist and loyal family man who is a big kid at heart. Over over time, he develops interests in cars and model railroads. The funny thing to me was that of all these characters, they all change and grow up and have all these different things happen in them. But the husband and father is just exactly the same the entire time. He's a dentist. (laughs) He eventually develops an interest in cars and model railroads. Michael Patterson. This is like so much unnecessary detail for a Sunday comic, by the way. But I've I found this fascinating. Uh, so it Michael, is, but it's just like yeah, Michael sorry, Patterson. Listen, Michael Patterson began the strip 
as a rambunctious preschooler. He became a little boy to a sullen teenager, uh, then became a good, mature young man, married to his childhood crush and father to daughter Meredith and son Robin. So, within the course of this book, you could watch this guy go from a preschooler to being a father of two. Elizabeth Patterson began the strip as a bratty and demanding toddler, uh, to a cute little girl, to an awkward preteen, to a confident and bright young woman. When the original strips ended, she was a teacher who had just married her old friend Anthony Kane, became a stepmother to his daughter. <laughs> uh, she gave birth to a son who she and her husband named in honor of their dying grandfather. And it goes on, oh, there's one more character, April Patterson. She nearly drowned in a spring flood when she was four years old. The family sheepdog Farley lost his own life while saving her. That's a hell of a thing Jesus. to read over your coffee on Sunday okay. morning. So this is not a this is not a funny, right? This no, is a, well, more most of, a drama. of the time. It, yeah, most of the time it was funny. Probably not the time where the kid almost died and then the dog did die. Well, Maybe they did the make kid. it funny. And when the series ended, she was about to go off to college to study veterinary medicine. So it went through her birth all the way up to her going off to college. Anyway, I know that that's not like the most hilarious comic strip in the world, but no. I found that super fascinating, like the amount of time and care it would take to create like a fully fledged other family and give them like an entire like full life. Yeah, and you have to think, think about a Sunday comic format. Do you know how many panels these typically were? The daily ones are three to four panels. The Sunday ones are, I want to say like 12 maybe. You don't have a lot of space to work with in a newspaper comic to, to flesh out these characters to such a degree. So I'm guessing some of these characters and their stories were not even touched on sometimes for weeks at a time. I'm guessing. So like, yeah, it is, it is interesting. You don't, you don't think about that with a newspaper comic strip, but. Just think like her comic started in 1979, Garfield started in 1978. Think of like the care and work that she put into creating five full lives. It was in that comic strip compared to like, uh, let's see, Garfield gets up, he's uh, lazy, but he's wanting some uh, lasagna. You're right. But listen, when I'm reading the fucking Sunday funnies, I want something more like Garfield. I feel like this Lee lady should have just written a book or written a comic book. Yeah, that or, maybe the, good point. Like, I mean, because you say that you can watch these people grow up from babyhood to adulthood and all that, and that's true. But that's only if you read every week or every day from the beginning or from a certain point. I don't know. It's just a really weird format to go with. You're right. Garfield hits, Garfield's going to hit the spot no matter where you're coming from. Yes. If you're like, I want something to take my mind off of the terror outside. What's that fat cat up to? He's always going to be. <laughs> He's like, fuck you. You know what you're getting with Garfield. Yeah, hates Mondays. He says, it's all about meow. That was the tagline for the Garfield movie. A Tale of Two Kitties. No, the first one. Okay, so the last one, number 10 on the list. Do you have a guess? Let me guess it. Okay. Is it Shoe? No. Is it... You said Kathy was... Yeah, Kathy's number 32. Marvin? No. Close to home? No. Rose is Rose? No. I don't know. I've never Baldo? heard of these. No. All right, I'm completely out of guesses. I've named every comic that's ever existed. Foxtrot. Oh, come on. 
No one remembers that. Yeah, I can like vaguely recall like what the artwork looked like, but nah, I got no. I mean, even reading the wiki article about Foxtrot, I'm like, what, what the hell? Uh, like, why is this in the top? Oh, 10? I do recognize this artwork when I see it. Yeah, how did this get over even fucking Marmaduke or Dilbert? Or Dilbert, yeah. Anyway, it's an American comic strip written and illustrated by Bill Amend. It launched on April 10th, 1988, and it ran seven days a week until December 30th, 2006. Since then, it has strictly appeared on Sundays. Foxtrot revolves around the daily lives of the Fox family, made up of parents Andrea, who's 42, Roger, who's 45, the children, Peter, age 16, Paige, age 14, and Jason, age 10. It covers a wide range of subject matter, including spoofs of pop culture fads, nerd culture, and popular consumer products. And my last note on Foxtrot says, honestly, it's fine, but nothing as special as Garfield. It's no Garfield. That's your take? There's nothing wrong with Foxtrot. It's just, there's just nothing very podcast worthy about it. It's fine. Okay, listen to this. I, I did a Google search on Foxtrot. And by the way, I think most people would recognize the art in this. It instantly rang a bell in my head when I saw it. Some of the comic strips are coming up in the Google search and I clicked on one. Yeah. And it's the, it's one of the kids and he's doing the floss dance, you know, where you put two arms on one side and they go to the other side, you know, the floss, doing the oh, floss. Oh, I see it. Yes. He's just doing that. Oh my God. I can see the punchline and I want to punch my computer. Okay. So, he's doing the floss for like eight panels. Uh-huh. And in the last one, he's telling his friend, my dentist suggested I floss after meals. <laughs> And his friend won't even turn around to look at him. His friend says, you have a very strange dentist. His friend should have turned around and stabbed him. (laughs) Foxtrot sucks. Do you think he knew his dentist didn't mean the dance and he's just being a smart ass? Or do you think he's dumb and he really thought the dentist meant do the dance? I think he thinks we're dumb. I think think Foxtrot is a slap in the face. Oh, come on. You're being a little harsh on Foxtrot. So, yeah, that's Foxtrot. I just fell down a hole of looking at how stupid this comic strip is. Well, you're hurting the feelings of everyone yeah. out there that reminisces greatly about Foxtrot. Well, sorry guys. No, that's it. That's Don't all forget, 10. People voted on this. This is the 10th most popular voted comic strip. So, you're in the minority. Why don't you take us right back through the top 10? Here's your trip. Back down comic strip. Memory lane. The top 10 most popular comic strips. Number 10, Foxtrot. Number nine, Garfield. Number eight, Beetle Bailey. Number seven, the hilarious uh, journey of an entire life of a family, for better or for worse. Number six, (laughs) Zitz. Number five, Hagar the Horrible. Number four, BC. Number three, Peanuts. Number two, The Far Side. And number one, Calvin and Hobbes. After looking today, because I did Google searches on all these as we've been talking, and after kind of Refreshing my brain. I think the mm-hmm. far side is like the clear best one of these. The far side definitely makes me laugh the most. I'd say the writing and art for Calvin and Hobbes still makes it number one for me. But yeah, the far side definitely gets my goat the best. And it's usually because of how... Oh, Jesus, get your goat. <laughs> it's usually because of uh, the faces and stuff. This guy can draw a reaction. Like nobody's business. It's like people, when they see your face, they just start laughing. Uh-huh. Even though you have perfect skin without ever having zits, man. Yeah. 
No. How did you get so perfect, Brandon? Could you give our teenage listeners out there some advice? Uh, too late. If you're a teenager, it's probably too late for you. Zits yeah. galore. But it's not too late to check us out on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TennisPod. By the way, while you're on Twitter, you can also follow me at the Nick Amel. That's E-M-E-L. You can follow Brandon at Sidekick Host. You can check out our website and all of our past episodes at TennisPod.com. You can buy our merch at TennisPod.com slash merch. You can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash TennisPod. Um, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Brandon, I'm trying to sneak in every plug we have ever done. You're going ape shit here. <laughs> what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting to plug? Uh, I mean, you've plugged all of our stuff. I assumed you were just going to move on to other people's stuff after this. You should watch Seinfeld. You should watch The Office. You should watch Adventure Time. I've been watching Adventure Time lately. You should buy some fruit to nutritionalize your body. Um, you should talk to your kids more. Ask them how their day was. And you should continue to listen to future episodes, including next week when we're back with episode 94. I think that's it. I think everybody's ears are going to be bleeding. Okay. You've given a lot of commands. Um, Brandon, you've commanded our attention for an hour and a half now. Yeah. So why don't you take us home here? Give, give us our final goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.